0: Let your snacks be heard. Just go to fritolasnacket.espionation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Tweep ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but Prohibited. Here's worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at fridelaysnacket.espionation.com
1: This is the Black and Gold Batterette Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you here. Uh, lots to talk about on this. Uh, we're recording this Wednesday, October the 6th. We are in full swing. We've got, uh, and it is a busy weekend coming up in the kingdom. We've got back home conference opener against ECU. We've got UCF Hall of Fame taking place. We've got... Uh, the hoop schedules came out this week Turner Turner's going to talk with us about what's going on with soccer volleyball and everything in a little bit but uh, but first let's talk football because that is the most important thing that we have going on right now where UCF finds themselves in a well an interesting spot and uh, and, and drew Glukov, Stat boy drew joins us here to talk football of course you can follow him at statboy drew on Twitter drew what's going on? Hey
2: guys, how's it going on this wonderful Wednesday afternoon?
1: I don't know, man. You tell us. UCF's lost their last two uh, on the road. Okay, lost the conference opener to Navy in um, heartbreaking fashion. Was up two, was up two possessions in the fourth, and then Navy just kind of did Navy things. One key turnover, really good drive at, by UCF at the end of the game, but they they had a goal to go situation. Well, they didn't have a goal to go situation, but because they could have gotten a first down, but um, even I, I, thought that, you know, just to wrap real quick, cause what hasn't been already said about this Navy game in Annapolis. I thought that Mikey keen was great. I thought the game plan for him was solid and well executed. It's just that last, you know, obviously the breakdown late in the game with the turnover, um, you know, I was scared to death and I told Matt Loudermilk on Twitter, this, I was, he was like, what's your biggest, you just threw out the question. What's your biggest fear about this game? And I wrote that Navy turns into Navy and Navy turned into Navy in this game. And granted, we had a shot to win it at the end, but you know, that, that la- people keep going back to that last four downs. Um, but I mean, that really wasn't what decided the game that, that one hurt Drew, you, you were, you were watching. I mean, I, I don't think it's as bad as people think. I think Navy's actually a better team than they look. They just got off to a bad start, but um you know, overall it's like, I don't know. Is it, is this was this loss as bad as people are thinking?
2: Well, I mean, Navy had to figure themselves out and going against a team that has trouble containing the outside was a perfect remedy. Uh, and, and let's (laughs) think, let's think about this, you know, UCF coming in, missing a linebacker missing, uh, top guys on offense yep. you know and even after three, the bye week they had a yeah, lot of guys all out. three skill positions were missing their number one guy i mean the recipe was set for navy to kind of write the ship no pun intended and
1: <laughs> i'm not going to give you credit for that one sorry I, don't I, carry I, on
2: I, hence the no pun intended uh and the, and and you know navy did navy things and what happened in the fourth quarter is indicative of what this offense is meant to do. It's, it's a running offense. It's meant to wear you down. And for a team that lacks depth on the defensive side of the ball, they, they eventually just started getting beaten down. They were outscored 17, nothing in the fourth quarter, which is, you know, what you want out of a running team. That's what Navy does. What Navy does keep the game close enough that you can, you know, wear them down and then bring yourself back. Mm-hmm. and on offense you know, everyone's like oh mikey Keene's great mikey Keen. he had a good game uh there are issues that he has to work on uh th- this was not a perfect game oh, by yeah. any and he starts in the imagination yeah, yeah.
1: he's also a true freshman <laughs> a true I freshman <laughs> I mean, first, first, start, first start first start i, I thought he was uh, uh, forgive me for interrupting i just want to get his stats out there for everyone because i think people forget the 16 to 26 178 two touchdowns one pick also ran uh well he went three net yards rushing but And that pick was
2: at the end, was the pick. Yeah, the pick was at the end of the game.
1: It it was the last play of the game, basically. Uh
2: you know, as a true freshman, and and some people complained about the game plan. The game plan was for him to be as much of a game manager as possible, to not have to put everything on his shoulders. Because if you take away the first three passes and the final drive, he didn't actually do much. Right. Um most uh you know didn't have many completions, didn't get many yards, a lot but executed of executed
1: what he was asked to do, I thought really well.
2: I, I think he had the part that I enjoyed watching the most wasn't uh you know the yarder thing, it was the progressions. He made his progressions, he hit a lot of checkdowns. Uh the navy's defense was just doing a pretty good job of keeping UCF's receivers in check. Jalen Robinson was out, that really hurt. And uh, I, I think he did a good job of, of kind of going through those progressions. That, that is something that is harder to teach, especially yeah. for a true freshman. Uh, the, the rest of it is, is just the deep, you know, the unnecessary details. That the guy didn't get open, okay, he passed to a different guy. Good. Yeah. Things work. Uh, the thing he has to work on is touch. Uh, right now, I mean, he rifled the ball a lot, and it caused a number of incompletions that shouldn't have been.
1: He showed uh, some touch a couple times on those touchdown passes, though. I thought that one to Brandon J- uh, Johnson. Up, well, he up on threaded the...
2: the needle on that one.
1: Ooh, that was a throw, baby. Holy that, smokes.
2: And he showed signs in the Bethune-Cookman game of being able to hit those really hard precision passes where you have a low percentage chance of error. Uh, but the the, the passes that, to Alec Holler, um, the the two that were dropped, one was behind Holler. The other one was was just thrown too hard. I mean, that, that was a hard one to bring in. And you know, I've always been a... a of a guy in the thought process of, if it hits your hands, you should catch it. But you and I was like, wow, that was a, that was a, a rifle shot. So, I mean, that's part of the experience process. That's, that's why the expectation this year is, is not so much win the conference title, but, but development, I, you don't want to call it a rebuilding year. Cause it's not rebuilding. It's a rebuild
0: year. You it's a it's, rebuild year. Now
2: it's, it's, it's a development year. Cause you know,
0: I agree with Drew on this rebuild development's the same
1: thing I mean, not really we could,
0: really. We, no. could it, we could spin it how we want but it's a rebuild no, slash I, developmental I, transitional I, year
1: i disagree with that and i'll tell you why when i hear rebuild i think the whole thing has crumbled and you have to build it up piece by piece oh, i the don't agree thing, with there's, that there's a lot of talent that's already on that roster you just have to develop it that's that's how i view it i don't know well, if this other, is I don't this know if is a very talented I, team i see it why I, dis- I disagree
0: oh I disagree with both of you I don't think this is a very talented fact I think this is the least talented UCF roster in a while and and I'm not and when I well, say maybe that
2: in the, maybe in the upper classmen especially yes on yes, the that's defense. what I mean that's especially what I on mean teams. yes yes, uh, yes this offensive line is incredibly solid but it's senior laden uh, the offensive side is is, is pretty good uh, you know you you're missing it a little bit in the running backs and the lower side because you just don't have size and as a result, no one respects the running game
1: when Isaiah Bowser is not on correct. the field, and that's, that's what happened. that's against such a huge Navy. Loss. Golly,
2: yeah, I think that was probably the biggest X factor. Isn't Dylan Gabriel being out? It's Isaiah <laughs> Bowser being out because it redefines the entire offense. Yeah, uh, you know, you He's can, their best uh, pass
0: blocker too from the backfield. Pass, yeah, I mean, I mean, he's
2: he's a Mack truck. I mean, he's correct. what two hundred fifteen pounds. I mean, he's he's a beast, and and you can't replicate that and. You know when when he was on the field against Louisville, they they crashed the the, the box. You know much more uh, against uh, Navy. They you know maybe didn't respect the run at all, and and eventually they were throwing many guys in the defensive backfield. I remember Coach Malzahn saying at one point they had like eight guys dropping back because they knew they were going to throw it. No one respected the run. So I mean Bowser, uh, that that hurts. But I mean he was kind of a, a diamond in the fact that they were able to get him through the transfer portal. They got to work on developing someone else. I remember uh, at one point it was going to be Bentavius Thompson before he got hurt in the off season, lost yeah. a lot of weight and really lost that ability to be a, a bruiser back before he left the team. So
1: you uh, see a trillion, trillion Coles is kind of that, but trillion I mean, they ran him seven, like, what five seven,
2: five eight. And they ran seven
1: times for 24 yards. That's a 3.1 average, which isn't bad, but it's, it's,
2: but it's not that that's not what you need. Uh, You, you need between four and five to really, to really make it work. Right. Uh, But I, and and Johnny Richardson,
1: to his credit, he had 59 yards on 11 carries 5.4 average. There's
2: your five point, you know, the five average that you're looking for. But the one thing UCF's running game lacks without Bowser is consistency. Uh, you know, in the case of Richardson, he'd break a few 10-plus yard runs that would pad those stats a little bit, and then he would run one, zero,
1: minus one. Feels uh, a lot like last year's run game.
2: Uh, I would say worse. Uh, uh, you know, at least last year you had, you know, you had, you know, guys who were a little more consistent. Uh, it, it, they didn't perform how they did in 2019. But I mean, you had you had a much better stable of running backs from a, from a size and all around stand, standpoint. I mean, uh, a, a little scat back should not be your number one guy. Uh, that that hurts. You you need you need some sort of thunder to go with it. And and UCF lacks that without without Bowser. But you can get away with a team that only has thunder. You, know, you don't have to have a lightning back. Yeah. Uh, so um, that that put more pressure on, on Keen, which, of course, affected the game. Great, great start. Uh, I've always been a fan of his. He needs work. This is how you learn it. Um, however, defense and special teams were unmitigated messes. Yeah, for I'm glad you reasons.
1: brought up. I'm glad you brought up special teams. I want to ask you about like, the special teams, Eric, because yeah. this is kind of. You know, UCFO going back to George O'Leary has actually been very good on the special teams, but we're seeing like you know, it's it does seem like we're kind of seeing a a down slope a little bit here. And those two mistakes on special teams were were catastrophic. catastrophic. Yeah,
0: jinx. Well, that's another. I mean, we can nitpick whatever defensive issues they had. If you think about it, if and I said this on the night shift post game with Drew and Bryce and. If the special teams was just an average team on Saturday, they win the game. That's how bad they – you have a punt block for a touchdown, which to me was the ter- the, the difference in the game. I thought UCF had a chance to, to grab that game by the throat. They were up 20-10 to 10 at the time. They had the ball. I'm thinking if they could score here, go up three scores, this game's a wrap. Instead, they go through – you know, they don't – then they have the punt block for the touchdown, turned the whole game around, uh, really kept Navy in the game – You miss an extra point. That's another point you cost yourself. And then the 19-yard punt when you're up 10 in the fourth quarter, you basically are handing Navy the touchdown. And the thing about Navy is if you keep them in the game, it allows them to run their system and run their stuff throughout the game and to wear you down. That's the problem. UCF never was able to go up three scores because of their special teams. They had this game. And you basically, if you do the math, that's basically 15 points the special teams cost you. You gave up two touchdowns to Navy on special teams, and you missed an extra point. So to me, that's what lost them the game. We can nitpick defensive issues. We know that. But at the end of the day, in my opinion, the defense really only gave up 20 points. The special teams cost them 15. The offense was good enough. You And you know this, Jeff, as a longtime Giants fan. What is does Bill, Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, who's now with the Patriots, we always tell you about special teams. How many games of the great giant teams always win on special teams?
1: They always won uh, the the great giant great giant teams. And it's good. You, you could say this about anyway. Great giant teams were ironclad on special teams, and that Spe- yeah. special teams was a weapon.
0: Yeah, and that's not the case here. So, uh it's complete right. opposite here. So that's we can pick the defense and the offense and this and that. I mean, I was li- watching people saying that Mikey Key should have thrown the ball more. I disagree with that. He was fine. Yeah, Uh, he was fine. Yeah, no, he should have
2: thrown the ball more.
1: The special team. threw the the exact amount of times he should have thrown. Correct. That's it. Uh,
0: But the special team's an issue. And that's a big issue because here's the thing this team has very little room for error, especially without Dylan Gabriel. See, when you have a quarterback like Dylan Gabriel, this is nothing against Mikey Keene. He's just literally just made his first start. He was in high school a year ago, basically. I mean, you know. He was
1: a high schooler in Chandler, Arizona. Yeah. When you have a guy like Dylan Gabriel,
0: it, it you can hide a lot of your flaws. But now you don't have that. So, for example, this week's game against East Carolina, which you would have been a heavy favorite with a Dylan Gabriel, with the Bowser. segue,
1: by the way. Thank
0: you. That's, I've done this before. And
2: they're still heavily
0: favored.
2: <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm very confused by the Vegas line
0: here. Tells you how much they think of you. But here's the problem. Well, yeah. Al. Here's my concern. Moving forward, in my opinion, East Carolina has the better quarterback in this game. Cincinnati definitely has the better quarterback in this game. Other teams moving forward in the schedule now either even or will have an edge at the quarterback, which means your room for error is very thin, very thin. Add to the injuries to a Bowser, to a Jalen Robinson, which we don't know when they're going to come back. I mean, it's going to be tough here moving forward.
2: That was actually something that that I, I posted about numerous times and we've talked about is the fact that the defense was always masked by how strong the offense was. You know, the offense just put up points and made it up for the fact that defense, uh, you know, struggled at times. Well, now you don't have that. And, yeah. you know, uh, there was a, a Twitter poll, you know, what are you more concerned about the offensive defense? And I made a case about the offense for that reason, because the defense hasn't changed. It's, it wasn't great now. It wasn't great then, and it won't be great tomorrow. It's not going to yeah. change, but the offense that they relied on to to cover for that is gone. Uh, he, and, and I don't I mean that in a negative way towards Mikey Keene, but as you said, you just don't replace Dylan Gabriel overnight. You know, especially with a true freshman. Yeah. Uh, you 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 gotta you gotta you know start somewhere and and build that up. But I mean, defensive depth is a problem. And and it has been a problem, and that's where Navy was able to just beat them down the fourth quarter. Depth is an issue. It was an issue last year, you know, when you had the the players you know opt out, and then the tra- uh, the guys who got dismissed from the team. Uh, depth was an issue. Depth is still an issue. This is uh, they were basically re, and this is where the rebuilding comes in. They're rebuilding the defense from the ground up, and they had to bring in some transfers to kind of cover for it. But when your best guys on the defense are transfers, like you know, one year transfers, that was your giveaway, it right? Shows, there. yes, that that's you your have giveaway. a problem. Um, uh, so they're basically, and a lot of people are giving you know T. Will uh, a hard time. But you, you can't win the Kentucky Derby with the donkey. You 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 need you need thoroughbreds. You you and you you got to get the right guys for the system. You know. Randy Shannon ran a nickel defense. You're now at more of a closer to a traditional four three with a little bit of, 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 flair to it. And, and you need to, to, to get the right guys. You need to get talent. So I expect a lot more guys coming from the transfer portal over the next year as they try to build up those younger class. Cause you know, we always say give a coach three years. This is why you give a coach three years.
1: Late breaking news. It's not getting any easier. Um, Er, uh, this is from 247 Jason Beattie also reported this from Orlando Sentinel um Eric Gilliard has the senior linebacker has entered his name in the transfer portal Ooh, and he uh and he's well, and he's having a, he's a starter he's, he's played uh he's all four games he's got 23 tackles half a tackle for loss uh no sacks no picks this year but uh, he was a work he's a workhorse in the middle of that this is this I'm is correct. mind He blowing was a
2: four-star guy who came in, um, immediately contributed. I know he, and this is, this is Tatum a shocker. We're fighting for playing time.
1: Yeah. So and I, T- I Tatum, listen. Tatum has been great this year. He really, he really has. And I'm pulling up his numbers right now. He's, he's played in, uh, three games. He's yeah, got he 15 total game. tack. Yeah. He missed the last one. And he was a big loss too, to be honest with you. I think he would have been a real help against, uh, against that triple O. Uh, one tackle for loss, one pick this year, uh, which was against Bethune. But um, I, I guess I, – would you say, Drew, that the end result of this is that is that Tatum won the job and Eric wants to go somewhere else to get PT or what?
2: Well, uh, I mean, Eric actually – has. Uh, if you compare singular games, I think Eric did a better job. Mm-hmm. Um, Tatum missed a lot of tackles, and he actually called himself out on it. Yeah, Uh, that he's had some tackling issues this year so credit to him for
1: recognizing it
2: oh yeah i i I give i give a lot of kudos for guys who are willing to to admit their own mistakes especially on those fundamental ones uh and and, you know i'm a little surprised at this because while bethune's hurt gilliard has an opportunity to to shine i mean he yeah all the linebackers are being overshadowed by a Bryson and armstrong who's finally doing what he was brought here to do which is a, be a tackle machine yeah,
1: that dude is all over the place
2: oh uh best cool. best guy in the defense by far not even close and i can yeah. see why he was uh, multi-time big south player of the year on defense and this guy is phenomenal
1: yeah um so spinning it forward to ecu and i want to set the stage here for this ecu is three and two this year they lost their first two to app state in south carolina and They won three in a row at marshall Home, Charleston Southern, and last week 52 29 against Tulane in their conference opener. Holton Aylers is back for the 10th year in a row. Um, he's last week he threw uh, <laughs> only 10. I feel like it's longer though. <laughs> yeah. he, uh, last week he was 21 to 32 for 288, two touchdowns, no picks. Um, so far this year, of uh, uh, 59%, which is down from last year slightly 1,266 yards, seven touchdowns, five picks. Uh, two of them were against uh, South Carolina. Another two in the win against Charleston Southern, which was kind of weird. Um, officially, by the way, he's listed as a junior.
2: <laughs> oh, <laughs> so they all um, got to be
1: ten year. more years. Um, and, and, uh, and and here's the story. Like you were saying, Drew, UCF is favored by ten right now, according to Odd Shark. Fifty-six. Only fifty-six percent of the money is on UCF minus the ten. Uh, w- uh, over under let Let's get this. Over under sixty-seven and a half. A hundred percent of the money is on the under. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I, I would uh, go with
2: the ender on that.
1: And uh, interestingly, the, the line started at 9.5 and, and went up to 10.
2: I think at one point it was at 11.
1: Some places had and it at 11. Some places had at 11. I don't see it here, but... Um, he, uh, well, uh let me see the line history here uh, well here's the thing
0: east carolina is one of the weirder teams they are they're a team that could be down 21 nothing in one quarter and they could outscore you 28 to nothing the next quarter they are very up and down that's a very challenging schedule they played appalachian state who's pretty good south carolina they played very well against uh marshall they came from behind in the fourth quarter to win mm-hmm. there but they're averaging 32 points a game. Ehlers, Ailers has literally faced every UCF quarterback, I feel like, over the last couple of years. I think Since, right? Well, no, he
1: never faced Mackenzie Milton. remember? Milton, that was the game Milton missed that we all Milton found out at the game. same That's time. Right. Who yep. started
0: that game? Was that Mac? It was Mac. That was Mac,
1: yeah. That was Daryl Mack's first start. Yeah.
0: Mac, I think Quadri Jones threw a game up throw in that game. He did. Uh, you had Quadri, jo-
1: Quadri Jones quarterback rating, I think, was infinity after that night. Yeah, it was a weird <laughs> game at 18. Uh,
2: no, they didn't even know who he was on the TV broadcast. Like, who is that guy?
1: Yeah. Yeah. But look, Mike, He Houston, dressed up as a receiver. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. go ahead, Eric. I'm sorry.
2: No, I
0: mean, Mike Houston's their head coach. He's been there now a few couple seats. They've been trying to build this up uh they've been they've shown they can move the football on UCF. I mean, they've moved the football on him the last couple of years. They just haven't been able to stop UCF. Well, now we'll see if UCF's not at a, a full strength offensively. We'll see what ECU can do. I, I would say this that from a uh, you mentioned the points spread. Out, I would stay away from all of that because I think no, I mean seriously, this is an unprodu- yeah, I you, I think that's a wise move. Because <laughs> I agree with you, Drew. I feel like that in my gut says that's too high. But Vegas usually knows more than we do. So there's something they know. And I don't know what that is, but they know something. Uh, So I would stay away. Because, really, you could tell me any prediction in this game, and I would believe it. You could tell me UCF comes out and plays great, and they have a great crowd in the home field, and they win. You could also tell me that Holton Aylers just dominates and East Carolina wins, and yeah, I would believe that, too. That's that's where we're at right now. We're at this point where each game, you just have to focus on that game. It's a toss-up game moving forward. There are no gimmies except UConn because they're UConn.
2: Uh, but- hey, that to- UConn-UMass game, that should have been game day. I mean, that that is an epic game.
1: Game. I know. How can they pick the Red River? Um, <laughs> How can they pick that over the conflict, man? Unbelievable. What but no, I,
0: I, I will say, like, and I, we had Chris Vanini on before the season. He said East Carolina was a sleeper team in the league. They could be a team that spoils a lot of team seasons. And one of the things that stands out to me, this week the league announced that Cincinnati and East Carolina has been moved to Black Friday. And I think that's a game that people – If Cincinnati better be careful about
1: that, that's that's an interesting matchup when you really think about it. If ECU, if ECU is the ECU that Chris thought, yeah, that's a real dangerous game for, for the Bearcats. Now, where's that game being played? greenville it's at east carolina oh yeah God, oh, man. okay and now it's gonna be
0: on black friday it might be the uh, abc game but the... yeah by the way our time slot for that black friday game is USF's not gonna be good but anyway whatever. whatever we'll do well,
2: they said it was supposed to be either 3 30 or 7 or 3 yeah. 30 or 7 30 but it's it's not gonna be abc <laughs> yeah it's
1: not yeah. Going to well you never going know like
2: you never know it's gonna be like by ESPN anyway. plus
0: but, but this is the thing is obviously this defense is going to have to try to slow down Holton Ahlers, right? That's the whole key here. Holton Ahlers as he goes, goes this offense. And yeah. they've started to build guys around him. So to me, it's strange as this sounds. I don't know. You can tell me I'm wrong, Drew. I don't think UCF wants to get into a shootout here with East Carolina.
2: No, not at all. Uh, Holton Ehlers is a gunslinger. He can throw for many touchdowns. He can also throw for many interceptions. Uh, you know, that's the Brett Favre effect. Yeah, no, it's uh, fair. That, that's that's a good comparison, the actually. The guy I'm actually most concerned about is Keaton Mitchell, their second-year freshman running back. And he hey, he's just – he's been on fire. Uh, you know, four out of the five games they played, he's averaged over nine yards a carry. And uh, four uh, four games he's had double-digit carries. Uh, let, let's look at this. Uh, Appalachian State was four for 50. Uh, okay south carolina 14 for 42 that was the bad game marshall 14 for 135 9.6 average
1: what was Charles- his long
2: uh i don't have as long uh charleston southern 13 for 125 similar average tulane 15 for 222 yards that's almost a 15 yard per carry average i mean just with two you know and he scored touchdowns in each of his last three games i that's a guy I'm worried about because that's called that's a big play threat.
0: Well, and he's he brings, provides balance for their offense, and he's you're right, he's a playmaker.
1: Now, Drew, before we wrap on ECU, because obviously we know that this is going to be you know, this this is a big game. I mean, I think what did he see in the game notes? I saw this that this is a UCF
2: season could, reset for UCF, this yeah. Is this a is a season reset. It's like
1: kind of like if, you know, if UCF loses, series. all right, a win. This is according to the game notes that just came out. A win would make sure the Knights do not fall below 500 for the first time since the last game of 2016 when UCF lost in the bull game to Terry Mohajers, Arkansas State Red Wolves. Um, the uh, season, the all-time series, by the way, ECU still leads it 10-9. to 9.
2: Right. And now I believe UCF's won the last five in a
1: row? Won the last five. Won the last five. So um, injury updates. Do we know anything about... Jalen Robinson, do we know anything about Isaiah Bowser? Do we know anything about even how Dylan Gabriel's recovery is going? Uh,
2: I haven't heard anything other than the fact that it's week to week with um, the first two. Uh, Obviously,
1: uh, now, is is that like, do you feel like that's like Gus playing it close to the vest, like week to week? And then all of a sudden, one of them is going to show up or? Is it like, oh, week to week, and you're like, I don't know, man. Well, it's,
2: it's more yeah. of, okay, how are you feeling? You know, it's Thursday. You know, how are you feeling? Okay, you're good, you're not good, and you go from there. And, uh, they had that about Matt Lee the prior week, uh, not for, mm-hmm. not for uh, Navy, but for Louisville. They had him in the same classification. He dressed up, he tried to go, did not work. Right. So, I mean, it, it, it's basically a coin flip at this point. Uh, but I mean, the the general feeling is it's not good, but they're at least playing it close enough to the best. Obviously uh, Gabriel's injuries, you know, no less than six weeks, you know, on a, on a broken clavicle, uh, but they're saying indefinite. Dang. I, I, it just, it, I it's just, so, you it know, is. Some,
1: some years it's like some, some, some years the bear gets you and you got to figure out a way through it. And yeah. yeah and my hope, As we wrap this segment up, because we're going to take a break here in a segment, my hope is that you know all the toxicity that we've seen on social, and I've seen it, man. This has been the worst year I think on Twitter, and I oh man, this this has
2: been horrible, absolutely horrible,
1: and Facebook too. But I, I will say this is that this is, and I said this before, but I really do believe it. This is the time when I think the fan base really needs to rally around these guys and pick them up when they're down, because there's going to be struggles. I mean, there just are, we're seeing it right now. Okay. In a transitional year. And you just gotta, you gotta stick with them. You gotta pick them up, pat them on the, this is where the fans really need to pick them up, pat them on the back. And be like, it's all right. We got your back. Don't worry about it. Just keep fighting, just keep fighting and you'll get there. All right. And when you're there, we'll be, you know, <laughs> what's, what's the meme. It's like, if you didn't love me yet, your, are this, don't love me yet. You're that or whatever. It was know.
2: usually if you didn't love us at one and 15, don't, you can't love us at two and 14 <laughs> <laughs>
1: says, says the Cleveland Browns fan in the room.
2: Well, so. I was there in to the Jacksonville Jaguars, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> but like,
1: it's not that bad, but it's like, I, 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 this team really needs the fan base to step up and be in their corner. There's a um, line, hell or high water. Now there's the time. a
2: line between being critiquing the team or critiquing players and being hostile there's a there's a there's a difference you can you can objectively critique well, that's what we're doing today is we're, we're critiquing but we're not we're not being hostile and attacking players you know hey you suck no we're, we're not we're, yeah but there are people who are attacking players directly on social media mm-hmm. and the time for that is never and the place is no place there's no situation that justifies attacking players, attacking players' parents, because they see what you write. And, and I uh, would
1: say unfairly attacking the coaches too.
2: I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> and I get
1: I, I get the way you say, like you know, they're the ones who make the big bucks, right? They're the but. ones
2: that are meant. If you're gonna attack someone, you attack the coaches. You know, I'm a man, I'm 40. Come on, Mike Gundy said it great. Um, <laughs> And I don't, uh, I don't
1: know if Mike Gundy is the proper example to throw out there for, you know, well, I mean, i went just
2: but he, he's the one who is said Mike I Gundy. A, okay. I, I got a tribute to him. He's the one who said, but they're making the big bucks. They're the ones that that's part of the job is, is facing a crowd.
1: I, I get, I get what you're saying. These are kids. They're, 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 they're part of their job description is, is fielding the flack.
2: Yeah. These are kids. They're trying, they're learning. Uh, they're going to make mistakes. They're human. Uh, a shanked punt. Hey, Andrew Osteen, Going into that game, is second in UCF history for average yards per punt. I mean, he's in. He moved up to sixth in punt yards all time at UCF. I mean, hmm. he's not a bad punter. He had a bad punt. Yeah. Uh, it's going to happen. Mistakes happen. Yeah, it was catastrophic for the game, but we have to keep that in perspective. These are people. Uh, these are these are young people.
1: they these are guys trying. right now. They 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 are. They're more than trying. They're trying to figure out. This yeah, whole thing, because this this is a whole this is a whole different bug. This is not we. I think we got a little spoiled by the transition from frost to hype. Oh, no,
2: they got us spoiled. No. which was, well, which us was old, a real us guys. We get it. We we've lived for yes, we've lived seasons, through two
1: winless seasons, a
2: seventeen game losing streak,
1: multiple games, losing
2: yeah. you know loo- uh seasons under five hundred. I mean. I, we're kind of tempered to handle this. And but, being but, so,
1: so God forsaken, thankful that we won a conference championship against Tulsa. Yeah. 2007, man. <laughs> I, I, oh I my God. F- That's the greatest thing that ever happened. they <laughs> haven't done squat against <laughs> Tulsa and won a conference title. Beat them twice that year. I know. <laughs> but, but anyway,
2: but going back to that, yeah, you're right. A lot of fans, um, lot, let me phrase it. A lot of newer fans are very spoiled. In, in the fact that UCF has delivered a lot in a very short period of time and have these very, very high expectations. I mean, going into the season for the, for our picks, I did not pick UCF to even be in the conference championship game with Dylan Gabriel. Now without, obviously all,
1: yeah, all everything's out
2: the window, but I, mean, yeah. I, I legitimately thought two losses, maybe even three was a very possible thing with the starters there. I mean, it, When you change a philosophy that's drastic, it takes time. And Heipel had the benefit that he had killer players. And that's what Mm -hmm. Frost had. You know, that 2015 was the most talented, talented, winless team I've ever seen. And he just, they just needed a guy to bring them back together. And as we saw after he left, maybe it was the players. Well, now we got to work on bringing those players back.
1: And it starts right now against ecu conference opener uh eric kickoff is at uh six o'clock is six that right
0: eastern espn plus my good friend courtney
1: lyle will be courtney on the lyle. call yeah, you see who he's working with uh here's a, what, here's, no, talk- yeah here's a here's a name from the past brandon whedon correct
0: former oklahoma state quarterback uh-huh. uh, dallas cowboy he'll yeah. be in the analyst role so i'd
2: like uh, to point out who drafted him Ugh. Cleveland, Cleveland Browns.
1: Yeah, Browns. <laughs> Cleveland well, Browns. let me say, let me tell you something. In Brandon Whedon's defense, that last season at Oklahoma State, he was an absolute stud.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, he was absolute. A, he was stud. a man among boys. I mean, he was what twenty eight. He was like 26. twenty six. He was like he was <laughs> like
1: Chris Winky for Florida State out there. Like he was he he was as that was as good a college football season as I've ever had. So I, I hope they're I hope they're in. I don't know if they're going to be in the booth there, or if they're. Going you, to call they have up. been traveling this season, so I would, I would, I would love was... to meet and be like Brandon, man. I still remember that OK State season, and like you were just a freaking man among boys. That, like you said, Drew, that was that was great. Thank you, congratulations. They should have had, had a shot
2: at that national title. They, they, they should have. That up.
1: was a good team. Who's Justin Blackman, yep. the receiver? Boy, was he good. That
2: that huh. I, Jag fans Jack fans right that. now
1: are like getting indigestion just thinking about okay. that. I'm
2: still that sore about how that BCS title game went to freaking bama and lsu
1: oh that was awful and it was a oh, terrible was game awful. yeah it was a crappy game anyway all right uh but you know what eric right if it wasn't for that game we probably wouldn't have a 14 playoff
2: you're right, right now, that was you know? the catalyst
1: that was that was that was the that was the it pissed off the of big
2: 10 enough that 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 was the catalyst that <laughs> changed right. it all
1: so all right we're gonna take a break when we come back uh eric is going to join us it will stay with us really and we're going to talk some UCF Hall of Fame, one of our favorite topics. And we have a special guest joining us, Athea Charles, former UCF track and field athlete who's going into the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame. Stick around. We'll be right back. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast.
3: Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com.
1: Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, along with Eric Lopez, uh, Bryce Eternal, join us in a little bit. Stat Boy Drew, thanks to him for hanging, hanging out with us. Before. actually, you're hanging on here for just a second, Drew. I I didn't get the chance to read because I don't because I suck at Instagram. I didn't get the chance to.
2: I thought you were going to say I'm not good at reading. <laughs> well, that's that.
1: I listen at my other job. I better be good at reading. But anyway um <clears throat> eric gilliard who we talked about in the first segment announced he is entering the transfer portal i, I didn't i didn't see his statement and thanks to bryson for sending along a statement for instagram let me, let me read this to be fair to eric because i think i think this kind of sheds a little light on what's going on dear night nation I, this is eric gilliard speaking on instagram dear night nation i want to thank you for the last four years it is with mixed emotions today i announced my goodbye my time here has been nothing less than amazing I've enjoyed so much success here, winning one of the most memorable conference championships in school history, many games, and also individual success, myself, all for one of the most prominent teams in college football. I'll always hold the memories I've had here, along with the people in a special place in my heart. The adversity I've had here that I've dealt with has shaped me into a man. To my teammates, I love y'all boys and believe y'all will get the program back to where it needs to be. However, I feel it is in my best interest that I redshirt this season graduate this fall and take my talents to another university. God has a different plan for me. Stay tuned. So it feels like I'm putting words in Eric in Eric's mouth here. And I hate doing that, but it feels to me like this, is this might be like an academic decision. He's like, you know what? I want to finish my degree and go to grad school and maybe use, use my remaining eligibility as a graduate student. And you know what? Good for him good for him. I mean, you put the whole reason why these guys come here to begin with is to earn their degrees. And if Eric Gilliard believes that the best path for him to finish his bachelor's and get to a master's degree is to retain his eligibility one more because, because he, again, he's redshirted. So he retains his eligibility. That means he would have, is he a senior or a junior?
2: He's, he's a senior, but because of the extra year,
1: so he's got two well, years of, he's going to have yeah. two years of eligibility left.
2: He's going to have, he's got two years. Cause you have right. the, he could be the red shirt senior and the extra year.
1: Right. So that's two years to get your master's degree. So you know what? Hey, Eric Gilliard, thank you for everything you did for UCF. If it's the right decision. If it's the right decision for you, we trust you. We're going to miss seeing number 10 out there. Um, I've interviewed him a couple of times. I love talking to him. What a cool dude. Um, but you know, he's, you know, as he's, as he's stepping away from UCF, he's making the, I think he, you know, he he wants to make the right decision for him and his future and his family and, you know, good for him. We're going to miss seeing him, but best of luck. And, you know, once a night, always a night. So congrats, Eric. And thanks for everything that you did for the program.
2: Yeah. I'm just curious where he'll end up.
1: Yeah. Wherever it is, he's going to, he's he's going to be earning his master's. I think that's going to be, that's good. So, all right. Let's move forward to UCF Hall of Fame. Eric Lopez. It's our. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, this is Hall of Fame weekend, so we have five inductees: uh, Blake Bortles, Josh Sitton from football, the great, the goat himself, Jermaine Taylor from men's basketball. I'm so happy for Jermaine getting into the Hall of Fame. Finally, Natalie Land, who I know, who I know you know extremely well, and you'll have a feature coming out on her this week. And our guest on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast this week. Afia Charles, who is a UCF track and field athlete from 2011 to 2014. If you don't know about Afia, all right, here's her little she was UCF's very first Olympian. Uh, she represented uh, her native Antigua and Barbuda in the 400 in the London 2012 games. This is wow she was a UCF athlete. Um, all America in the 4x 400 relay, the indoor 4x400 relay. The outdoor four by one hundred relay and the outdoor four by four hundred relay as well. Um, Three conference USA outdoor titles when she was here with when Carol Smith Gilbert was here as well. She was her coach. Two indoor titles. um, A fifth place finish in the twenty thirteen NCAA's and uh, or or helped UCF reach fifth place in the twenty thirteen NCAA's. Nice one. The silver in the four by one hundred relay and just to show you how much of a You know, an all-around person that Afia was. She was also the president of the UCF Student Athlete Advisory Committee. Which, if 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 you don't know about SAC, it's um, an extremely important um, uh, arm of the UCF athletics uh, uh, support staff and structure, and it's the vehicle by which athletes advocate for their for themselves um, and for their sports from from an athlete level and and Afia was the president of that. And she's uh, an amazing athlete and an amazing chat, too, wasn't she, Eric?
0: She was. I recently had a chance to catch up with her for her reaction to being inducted to the Hall of Fame. Of course, she's used to being the first. She was. The, she's the first UCF track athlete to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, coming from an incredible athletic family, as she kind of discusses with me about that, as well as her time at UCF. And uh, what uh, what is she up to now? Here now. Is Afia Charles on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast? <laughs> and joining us now here on the Black and Gold Banneret, she is getting inducted to the UCF Athletics Hall of Fame, an Olympian, the first track, UCF track Olympian in program history. Of course, All American, uh, one of the most uh, accomplished athletes in UCF history, that ran the fastest 400 meters ever at UCF. I speak speaking of Afia Charles joining us here, uh, first of all, how does it sound now to be, I guess we call you now UCF Hall of Famer, Afia Charles. How does that sound?
3: <laughs> it sounds amazing. It feels like, you know, all my hard work at UCF is finally getting recognized. Not even finally, it's just, you know, it takes time. You, you know, you usually wait till you're 10 years out of graduation. I'm only almost seven. So it feels amazing to be, to know that all my hard work is being recognized. I'm just so excited.
0: Take us through what you found out, because uh, I know how they usually. What they'll they'll reach out to the person that's getting inducted and, and all that. Just take take me through the process when you felt fa- you know, you got that call and your reaction when you found out.
3: So I found out, I want to say about almost two months ago, and I found out via um, Instagram direct message that I was even in the top 10. So when I found that out, I was talking to my husband, Torian Wilson, who actually played football at UCF, Um, and I I was like, I think. I'm going to get inducted. He was like, you think he's like, you're the only Olympian that you have ever had for track and field. You, you got it. But, you know, you're still in the back of your mind. You're like, ah, I don't want to get my hopes up too much. So then um, when they sent me another message saying, you know, just, you know, anticipate a call or a FaceTime call. I was like, okay, that's great. But they t- said to anticipate it on Monday. And when I did it on Monday, I was thinking to myself, OK, I didn't get it. And then Tuesday, I got the call from the AD and I was just elated, excited. It was just it was a great experience. So it was it was a, everything I can imagine.
0: You're going in with Jermaine Taylor, obviously arguably the best youth basketball player ever. Natalie Lane, great softball player, Blake Bortles and Josh Sitton for football. Uh, your thoughts on the class you're coming in. That's one of the strongest classes, if not the best in the history of that that's getting inducted to the Hall of Fame this class in the 2019 class are probably the top 2 ever
3: uh i'm like honored first of all i was in school the same time as Blake and Natalie so it's great that we were around there at the same exact time so i know what they did in their sports blake was legit. As everybody knows, he like set the trend um, and put UCF on the map, him and that team. And Natalie was great in softball. So I've always seen her work ethic. We worked in, we were on SAC together, um, Student the Advisory Council. So that's uh, really cool. So I've always, you know, saw them. We always hang out together. So it's really cool to know that we're all inducted at the same time.
0: That's right. You all were there in the at the same time. Uh that's a pretty pretty strong deal. You are the first UCF track and field athlete to get inducted to the Hall of Fame. And we'll get into some of the athletes you've had and the su- success at UCF. But when I say that sentence, what does that mean to you that you're you're, you're making an, a, another first? You're the first UCF track and field alum to get inducted to the Hall of Fame. What does that mean to you?
3: it's still a shocker. It didn't click to me until UCF track and field posted my picture this weekend. And then I read it, but it didn't click that it said first until my sister reposted it and said first. And I was like, wait, I'm the first. So I went back and I really like, you know, read it and took it in. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, it's just crazy that, you know, in UCF small history, even though we're like over 50 years. um, But just to know that you know, I, I made my mark and I made it in such a monumental way. So it's amazing to be the first. I know there's going to be a lot of people after me because UCF track and field has some great stars and um, future and also past. So I know this is not going to be the end for UCF track and field Hall of Famers.
0: No, we're going to talk about some of them and, and that because you were part of maybe one of the greatest UCF teams in any sport ever uh, with a 2013 track team in a, in a little bit. But first, let's talk about the beginning here. What got you interested in being a track athlete? I know your mom was a track athlete. I was that a big part of it? And how did you end up at UCF?
3: Oh, great question. So I didn't actually start running track until the end of my freshman year in high school. So I was run, playing um, basketball and you know, wasn't that great. <laughs> and then my mom was like, why don't you just try out for tracks? I actually tried out for track in basketball shorts and basketball shoes. And then the coach saw me and was just like, oh, we need you to join our team. Two weeks later, I was tra- on the traveling squad, went to um, California. And I know, and when I won my first track meet ever, I was like, oh, I might have a niche for this. This might be my sport. So I just like really started to take it seriously. Um, Sophomore year, that's, I guess, what I was like, my highlight, my stand. Out year. We won Penn Relays, which is one of the biggest competitions for a high school relay um, athlete. So we won that. And then it was just like, okay, it's time for me to kind of take it serious when it comes to where do I want to go to school. And I know I wanted to go to a school that Mm you know, was going to work with me because I was, you know, I've only been running for three, you know, three four years. So, and I know I had the potential to go anywhere. I was, you know, getting recruited from Florida, Clemson, you know, all those big time schools, but I wanted a school that would really Understand that I am a fresh athlete and you know pull out my strengths, and I saw that at UCF especially with Coach Carol I remember when she spoke to uh, my parents, she was like, "Oh, this is going to be a fifty a fifty second quarter mileer. This is going to be Olympian," and that's the only coach that actually said that to me. So she was like, she believed that, and then also knowing that my mom was in the Olympics, so I knew that you know there's a standard in our family that you know we we try to excel in the you know in the best that we can. Currently, my sister plays in the WNBA. So we have, you know, a lot of people in our family that, you know, try, we excel. We're very, we're a very competitive family. Um, so I just had to, so when I went to UCF on that campus, it's just like, I don't know if, I don't know if you guys really believe in God, but I just felt like it was a voice in me and said, this is where you need to be. And from there, I stopped my other visits and I said, this is where I'm going to come. And I chose UCF and it was the, one of the best decisions I could have ever made.
0: Now, for those that may not be aware, tell the audience about your family, because I'm aware. I mean, you've it is a it's got to be one of the most competitive families that I've ever kind of kind of follow up. At. You just mentioned WNBA. a almost an Olympian. Just describe, tell the people who they are and what they do, you know, because I don't know if people are aware of that.
3: Yeah, of course. So um, my father, he used to play soccer for his country, competitively um, in high school. Um, he came over. He's now he owns his own business. My older brother, he played sports all throughout high school. Now he owns his own business. Then it's me. So I was in the Olympian and I went to the Olympics. Uh, my mother, of course, ran in the 1984 Olympics for Antigua. She ran in 19 in the Los Angeles Olympics. My younger brother, he actually went to Canada and played basketball um, in Canada. And then my younger Sister is currently um, playing for the Connecticut Suns. They're actually the number one team in the league right now. So we're we're hoping to get a championship out of them this year. So a lot of a lot of competitiveness. Uno and Monopoly is crazy in our house. Nobody likes to lose, as you can imagine. So it's very very competitive house household.
0: That's incredible. (laughs) What is it like to grow up in that household? I mean, growing up, I mean. You know I, I mean that's kind of that's I that just blows my mind away chris speaking of, of kyla charles who's obviously the connecticut sun WNBA, but uh, that that had to be one of the most competitive growing up like i can't imagine you guys not playing sports growing up right i mean you had All to the
3: time. yep sports was always in us but it was always sports or school and my parents was very hey if you're gonna play a sport you can play your sport but also make sure your schoolwork is always on you know on the forefront as well but we Pretty much all my siblings, except for my older brother, he got a scholarship for ath- um, academics, got, you know, athletic scholarships from school. So we've always, you know, been a very athletic family. Like I said, it's always been competitive. That's just the nature of our family, very competitive.
0: Well, and that that's going to pay off for you because when you got to UCF, there was a lot of competitiveness within the team. I mean, you had some great track athletes just talk about something what was it like once you stepped in to campus at UCF and, and obviously come and commit to with coach Gilbert but seeing the roster that you would be a part of that will it's going to go down as maybe the greatest in the history of UCF track what was that like walking into that?
3: So I definitely learned my lesson really fast. So me and Arielle, we came in at the same time, Ariel Scott, we both went to high school together. there. So we both made, it's funny. We didn't even make our decision at the same time. I didn't know she committed to UCF and we didn't know each other committed because we didn't, our coach told us don't, base your decision on each other. You guys got to make sure you find the place that's best for you guys. So when we first came, we found out we both committed, we were excited, but it also came to a root, a root awakening because when you come into, when you're in high school and you're beating up on every, all your competitors in high school, you're winning states every year. And then you come to uh, UCF where your teammates are beating you in practice every single day. <laughs> it's like different. So you're learning that lesson even before you get on the track. You have people like Jackie Coward who you know was an absolute beast in the hurdles but she also had that endurance in the 4 and the 2. You had Arielle Scott, you know, she was a 1 and 2 but she was always my competition. She pushed me. Um Sandy Jean-Claude so there was a lot of competitive people um, on that team and it just made us, you know, work hard. I feel like practice was always a track meet. It was always a competition. So I loved it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think Tivius Freeman was there, Jackie Coward. I mean, I I did a top 80 UCF greatest female athletes in 2020, and you all were like within the top 25, and it was like, it was hard, to be honest, to separate yourselves, because you all were like, it's like a dream team. I really am not (laughs) exaggerating that. How did you were able to fit in there and your role? Because all of you had roles within the team, because – you know, 2013, you finished fifth in the NCAA championships in the outdoor championship, the highest finish for a non BCS, you know, program at the time in track and field, which was unheard of. And mm-hmm. it was because you all, I mean, Ariel won the national championship in the 60 meter in 2013. You had to, so how did you were able to find your role and your strengths, Aaron, with all this talent? Because, you could have been, you know, there was a lot of track athletes there that could have easily been like the star in another program, but they had to kind of fit the roles they could fit on this, pro, on this team.
3: Yeah, great question. So the great thing about track and field is um, it's an individual, it's a team sport, but it's an individual sport. So the great thing is that you get to highlight your talents and your strengths based on your event. So although I had amazing teammates and very competitive, I was solely myself and and when Ashley Jocelyn, she came a little later, I was solely the only 400-meter runner. So it was just me primarily running the 400. And then when we had like our relays, like the four by four, then we'll bring in Ariel, Octavius and things like that. So for me, it wasn't as difficult to kind of find my niche because I knew I knew where I stood on the team. I was that quarter miler. I was that 400 meter runner. That was my event. That was my focus. And that's what I was great and good at. I mean, great at. So, um I wouldn't say it wasn't as hard for me, but for people like Ariel, Octavius, when they're all, they both do the same exact events. It's hard for them to find their niche, but they all had that one event that they always excelled at. So that was good.
0: And you all excelled in it. Uh, You mentioned the 400 meters. Why was that the event that really topped? I mean, you ran the fastest 400 meters ever at UCF. Uh, You would end up uh, participating in the Olympics in the four. What was it about the 400 meters? where that was where you really excelled and dominated.
3: I think for me with the 400, I was, that was just my key event. Even in high school, I had the endurance of an 800 meter runner. And then I had the speed of a sprinter. So they were just like, Hey, put it in, put it in the 400. Um, so, and I knew that, uh, the great thing about the 400 is that it takes time for it. So for me, I'm the type of athlete, I have the speed, but it takes time for me to get up to my speed, get up to my optimal um, speed. So the 400 was just that race that, you know, was a perfect blend of my strengths, which is high endurance. And then also there's the speed, there's the natural speed and ability that I had.
0: You're also tremendous as part of the relay. You were an All-American, the four by 400. You're also in the relays of the four by 100. Talk about the success you had from a relay because UCF, every time they won, it seemed like you were a part of it and I don't think that was an accident.
3: Yeah. Yes, I was definitely a part of every relay. Um, Relays has always been um, one of my favorite events because that is how we feel more of as a team. Like I mentioned earlier, with track, it's an individual sport. So when you're running an individual race, you're running for yourself. And sometimes when you're running for yourself, you don't have that drive as if you're running with a team. As when you're passing that baton, you're getting that baton from a team, and you know that you're that one per- If you're that one person that messes up, you're messing it up for your whole team. So it gives you that more drive and that push, and then seeing your teammates at the line waiting for you waiting for them to hand off the baton it just gears you up so i loved relays that was one of my favorite things and i always told my coach put me on every relay possible because i knew once i'm on that relay you know i'm unstoppable
0: obviously uh you make the olympics i want take us through that process there 2012 you qualify for the olympics in london 28 years to when your mom participated, as you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, in Los Angeles in the 84 Olympics, and people may not be aware of this, your mom ran, what, the 100 meters, 200 meters in LA? In as well, mm-hmm. in the long, right, yeah. she, so, because people might think, oh, well, you're, you're, you're doing the same events that she, no, not the case. You two had some differences, which mm-hmm. I, I'm so fascinated by that. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? Was there extra pressure that you put on yourself to qualify, not just to, to qualify for the Olympics, but Knowing that your family's history with your mom having been there in, in LA in 84.
3: So that's a really good question. So one thing, my my mom never pressured, pressured me to run, run track. She, like I mentioned, I was playing basketball and she was like, why don't you just try it? So it was never <laughs> pressured. She actually did not buy me my first pair of track shoes until she knew I was serious about track. I was running in basketball shoes for maybe about two weeks until they were like, oh, Fia's traveling. And she was like, okay, so let me go buy you some track shoes. I wanna make sure that you're serious. So she never pushed me. So I never felt that pressure, um, so to say in that. But also in the back of my mind, I know that I wanted to be as great or even better than my mom. So I, maybe I just put the pressure on myself, you know, and when it came to that um, olympic experience it was actually kind of crazy because at first i didn't know i even qualified i actually went home for two weeks and i was eating and i'm thinking track and field is over you know for the season and gear up, gear up for the next year and then i got a call from my country Antiga, and they were just like hey you know you qualified right you know you're the only <laughs> woman track and field athlete that we have um do you want to go and i was just thinking to myself um, yeah. So I actually, that's saying like maybe two days later, I booked the flight, came back to Mar- um, came back to Florida and, um, me and coach Carol, we have about three, four weeks to get me back in shape. Cause that it only takes a week to get out of track shape. So we had a couple of weeks to get back in shape. And I was working with, um, Dee Dee Trotter. She was training with us at the time. She actually won the bronze in the Olympics that year. So me and Dee were back to back every day, just working, you know, i um, tweaking a few things, but, you know, we just got ready for the Olympics and it was just a great experience overall.
0: What was it like? You, got, you've, you've, you described how you found out once you knew you qualified for the Olympics. Once you stepped in to the track up there in London, what's going through your mind as you're there, the, the biggest event? Here you are in this event 28 years ago. Your mom was in, in a Los Angeles track. Here you are in the London track, one of the most watched events uh, ever. What was the, what's going through your mind there?
3: Oh, man. So just seeing the crowd. So there was like over 100,000 people in the crowd. And I just remember, um, you know, my dad, uh, he, he wasn't able to make it to the Olympics, but he made sure that my mom can go. He was like, "Okay, if I can't make it, then I'm buying you the flight. I'm buying you the ticket. I need you there to represent, you know, to so I see a familiar face. And it's actually crazy. When I walked out the crowd, I was walking to the line to my blocks and I don't know how I heard her voice, but I heard my mom's voice and I literally saw her in the crowd and I was just like, I'm ready. Like it just gave me that, you know, I just felt like at peace and comfort and to be able to point her out, point her out out of a, over a hundred know, a hundred thousand people and just hear her voice and just hear her and see her. It just made me when I walked on that line, just, you know, feel that, like, you know, feel that like peace and like I deserve to be here. So it was an exciting moment.
0: That, that's amazing. Uh, describe what's it for those because there's not been many people that have been in your shoes especially from UCF Michelle Akers obviously comes to mind Alina Reyes who got inducted recently from soccer she's been in the Olympics an expert but to have that to say you're an Olympian when you look back on that you know and who knows with the family track record you all have down the road you might have a family <laughs> met right you might have a son or a daughter that might go to pursue yeah. the Olympics what would you tell that son or daughter if you have you know about your experience uh, and, and when you, were, you look back,
3: one thing I would definitely tell them is for this type for the Olympic experience, you don't take anything for granted. Just being there is an experience. Just walking into the I tell people just walking into the cafeteria and you're seeing greats or the best athletes from every single country in the world right there. And they're normal people they're people just like you and me, but in their country, they're stars. So being able to go into um, an arena and just say like, anybody, if you put the hard work, the dedication, anybody can do this. They were regular people. It was like, not like they had any superpowers or they look any different than you and I, you know, they just had the opportunity. So when you get that opportunity, just cherish that moment um, and just know that it's something that it was life changing for me. It showed me that any room I deserve to be in any room that I put, I set my mind to. Um, and it just set the trajectory of my career. And I know that, and every time now that I'm in a room, I feel confident. I'm like, Hey, I'm Olympian. I don't why, why am I nervous? You know, I, I accomplished so much already in my career and I just have to continue to do so.
0: Of course, this past summer, we had the Olympics and Renaya Jones was in the in the forefront from a UCF standpoint. You're mm-hmm. trying to qualify for the Olympics. She finished second in the NCAA championships. Participated up in Port in, in Oregon. Did, were you able to follow what she was doing? Because she kind of took a lot of UCF fans following. You know, and social media has kind of helped in that with the coverage and everything. And. Uh, it really A lot of UCF fans jumped on that on and, and, and the track and field. Did you, were you able to follow what Renaya was doing? And yes, what, I didn't what,
3: follow it until late, until maybe, I want to say, until regionals. And then I really start seeing her name and seeing what she's doing. I'm like, wow, this girl's a beast, and she's so young, and her personality's so bubbling. That's what you need. You just need someone who's just carefree and just having fun with it. Because sport is um, any type of sport, especially track and field, is very mental. So once you start playing that mental game and you lose that fun out of it, it changes how you perform. So to see how much fun she was having, how she was always smiling, her interviews, it shows that if she keeps that same mentality, that same you know perseverance, she's I'm, I have no doubt that she'll be Olympian one day. She'll win nationals next year, um, that she'll go far. And she will be most likely be a UCF Hall of Famer as well in the future. She was just a freshman in doing yeah.
0: it uh, too, which is what kind of blows me away. And she handled all the expectations very well. Uh, as she Collins, her teammate was also in the NCAA championships or part of this youth movement and track that honestly, it compares to the group that you were a part of when you all came in at the same time. I know Dana Boone's the new head coach there. That's kind of their vision there as they kind of develop. it. I don't know if you've been able to follow the track there, but people are more are interested in UCF track. And I think you're a big part of that. And I think it's perfect that you're getting inducted in an olympic year and just fresh off Raniah jones really making headlines for ucf track because there's a lot of ucf fans that are looking forward to the upcoming track season because of her yep exactly uh it tell me about coach gilbert what she meant to you carol Carol smith gilbert she went on to usc won a national championship and she just got became the head coach at georgia in fact she's the director of of track over there at georgia so she's making her own history but what what was it about her that, that drew you to go and, and, and go and, you know, commit to her and has made her say so, why is she so successful?
3: So one thing about Coach Carol is that she is one determined and persistent lady. She is she definitely some one of the things that I admired from her and what she always used to tell us is never take no for an answer always go after what you want. And, and I'm not even surprised that she's so successful. I was just actually writing her on Instagram and I told her like, you're the GOAT. You're the greatest of all time. Like the things that you've you've accomplished, um, is unmatched. And I, I know when she first told her that she was leaving, I was sad, but I knew like UCF wasn't, you know, wasn't the, the um, the end for her i knew that she like her talent her name deserved to be nation national you know national wide. and usc was perfect for her she got that national championship that she deserved and she worked for it. i know she's gonna do great things at georgia But um, Coach Carol was a great influence in my life, and she was the type of person, the type of coach that you just admired and you wanted in your corner. You wanted to have that coach to coach you because she knew your strengths, she knew your weaknesses, and she knew how to pull it out of you, whether you liked it or not. And that's one thing that I can definitely say is that she pulled, you know, my strengths out of me.
0: You were part of three outdoor uh, conference USA championships, two indoor conference USA championships. I mentioned earlier 2013 UCF finished fifth in the NCAA championships, the, the first non-Power 5 program since 2000 to earn a top five finish in the outdoor championships. Uh, you were All-American. All con- I mean, you still hold a 400-meter record. You were at
3: 52.4. Do you
0: remember when you broke that 400-meter record?
3: Yes, I do. It was conference champ, conference 2013. Yep, 2013 conference. We were in at um, – was it Rice? Yep, and we were in Texas. Uh, That was one of the highlights of my career, especially at UCF, my fastest time actually was able to um, have my country's national record with that time as well. So it was a great race. And it was just that was when I knew, okay. I got this, this, that was, that was my year. We had a great year. I mean, it was just a great year for UCF period. That's when we won the Fiesta Bowl the year, we, my junior year. We won our, the Fiesta Bowl for football. We won, you know, the the conference championship. So it was, that was just a great year for UCF all the way around.
0: Well, and what was so amazing about that r- during that time frame? you know, UCF at the top, you got Houston, yeah. Leroy Burrell, Carl Lewis, their tradition there at Houston. What was that like? to go up against Houston and I mean, being among the best in the country, you know, I mean, you're talking, these are the, the goats of, of track and field. These are legends. They're all, uh, you're, you're all kind of coaching here and involved in some of the great athletes that have been produced at that time.
3: Yeah, so Houston was always one of our top competitors. Houston and e, um, ECU was always really good competitors with us, especially um, Houston on the sprint side. We were always neck and neck when it came to sprints, 100, 200, 400. So it was all, we always knew that if we're running against Houston in a race, we were gonna run one of our fastest times. So, and I liked running against them because they pushed me and they made sure that I PR, they helped me PR, they helped me win these records but it was always good to have competition with track and field. That's what you need. If you're in a race with a whole, with people who are not running fast times, you're most likely not gonna run a fast time because you're gonna be in the lead or you're gonna be in the lead and you're not having anybody toe-in-toe actually pushing you throughout the whole race, you get lax. So I loved running against Houston because from start to finish, they were right there and they pushed me and they didn't allow me to relax in between my races um, and things like that. So allow me to you know run those fast times and do what I had to do to
0: we mentioned you're the first UCF track and field alum to get inducted to the hall of fame but we both agree you should not be the last you will definitely won't be the last just let's talk about some of your teammates here uh and, and you can name as many more as you want I'll name a few to start Octavius Freeman Ariel Scott Jackie Coward those three start with those three Why were they so great? I think all three have legitimate cases to be in the Hall of Fame down the road. I know they're not alone in that of all your teammates, but they're the ones that kind of stood out to me. Your thoughts on them?
3: So definitely Jackie Coward. Jackie Coward has been a beast since high school and beyond. I remember even coming into UCF. They're like, you're going to be in school. You're going to be running with Jackie Coward and back then I didn't know the the magnitude of her name until I actually compete until I was actually her teammate and I saw her work ethic like Jackie was a workhorse from start to finish track is what she bled um, tracks what she loved and it showed in her work ethic and how in her races always finishing top eight um, always making a final so Jackie is one one person that I admired and I saw and she pushed me Ariel like I mentioned we went to high school together we grew up together so I know the work at, you know, the work ethic of Ariel. Ariel was a beast. Ariel is the type of person that can um, <laughs> that can roll out of bed and run a fast time. No, just pure natural talent. And um, she was just one of the top, one of my favorite people to train with and to watch because her her um, talent wasn't just limited. She could run anything between the one and the four and win every event and win each one if she needed to and she was a team player whether she was hurt whether she was wasn't feeling well she would jump on that line and say I got you coach I'll do it for the team um so she was one of my favorites and she's still one of my best friends and then Octavius was just pure talent pure so natural um she was the type of person that no technique no technique needed but she would just run fast you just tell Octavius to go and she would go her specialty was the one and the two, but the one was, you know, that was her her top event, and she just always excelled at it. No matter what, she was our, our anchor leg in the um, four-by-one in that relay, and she killed it. She helped us um, get to second place, get that second place finish, so she was amazing. So definitely people that deserve that Hall of Fame title.
0: By the way, that 13 team, too, they do also induct teams. They've had a, a cheerleading national championship team. The 1978 volleyball national championship team has been inducted to the Hall of Fame. I think that 2013 outdoor team in particular should get consideration considering what you all accomplished. I mentioned, I'm not, I mean, it just blows my mind. Fifth place. We won't have to worry about this anymore. We're moving to the Big 12 now, so they'll have more yes. resources. But we didn't have the resources of some of the big brands. What made, what made that 13 team such a legendary team?
3: I would say, I think that with that 13 team, we we were just on a different mindset. We knew in 2000, the year before, we were, you know, we were winning, we were winning um, championships and, but we just knew like, it was like something about 2013 was just different for us. We just knew the talent that we had and even people that weren't even, Um, that we didn't even mention, like Sandy Jean-Claude, who, you know, that year she made it to Nationals in the 400-meter hurdles. We had um, our um, son, Sanisha Williams, who was our long jumper, Jen Clayton, who was our long jumper. So we had a lot of talent on that team and everybody pushed everyone. I think that year is when we said we deserve to be a Nationals. We deserve to be a National winning team. And the whole, our mindset that entire year was nationals focus. we did a lot of mental training we did a lot of workshops to strengthen our mental that year and that's what we needed because like I mentioned earlier track can be a very mental sport so when you have that mental block it can affect your racing and it can affect your competition so that year was just different from the start to the finish coach Carroll said we're going to be one of the top teams this year and that's what we did
0: amazing amazing couple last things tell the UCF Uh, Fans, what have you been up to post UCF, post your track career?
3: All right. So great question. So um, earlier this year, I, I got married. I got married to my college sweetheart, Torrin Wilson. He was the left tackle at UCF, number 72. Um, currently, I am a manager at a hospital. And then I also just started my financial services business um, as well. My dad was you know, in this business, um, was doing it for about 20 plus years. And he was just like, hey, you're the beneficiary. So I actually started taking it seriously. So I help people with financial education. Um, personal, you know, finance investments and life insurance and things in that area. And then also providing them with opportunities to make some additional money and, you know, on on the side. So it's just great to know that. And I always see this in my... I take track and put this in my everyday, you know, work as well when it comes to when I'm working at the hospital as a manager and then also my side business. I'm just, you know, trying to be competitive and be one of the best out there, learn, educate and things like that. So that's kind of what I'm doing now.
0: I have to ask the follow up for a football audience. First of all, I was a big Tori Wilson fan myself. I was a great lineman. You see, up. Did you know each other when you're both going to school? Did you meet afterwards? How did it, you both come yeah, up? so come up?
3: Torian and I met freshman year. So we met freshman year in high school. Um, one of two of my teammates was actually his high. No, I said freshman year in high school. We met high, freshman year in college. Me and Torian met um, freshman year in college in August. Um, two of my high. Two of my teammates, Sandy and Destiny, were actually his high school. They went to high school with Torian. So we've been together since 2010 in high school. August. 2010, we've been together ever since November is going to make about 11 years since we've been official. So, touring was one of the huge supports during my track and field career. He's every time we had a track meet at college or on campus, he was right there running around, running alongside with me on the. on the fence and things, so um, he's been a monumental part of my success at UCF because he's always make help keep me level when I wanted to freak out and I wanted to quit. He was <laughs> the one pushing me. He was like your practices are nothing like how mine's are. You can do it. <laughs> so we were always like just pushing and motivating ourselves, um, motivating each other during our careers. That's a remarkable. I had no idea you two had that long time relationship. That's pretty
0: wild. I mean, and the fact you both were athletes at a high level, that that has to be, so, I mean, there has to be that bond in there. Obviously, both yeah. being athletes can relate to each other what you're going through, even though it's different sports.
3: Yep, very much so. And he was, and we both, 2013 was both our years. They won, he won, he, won, he was part of that Oh, that's right. The Fiesta Bowl, and I won, you know, had the fastest time that year. So that was, we always say that was our, that was one of our best UCF years. That was
0: one of the best UCF years period. Right. (laughs) And you two set the tone. You set the tone for football. That was good. Wow. Uh, That's amazing. I did not know that probably your family. That is, you realize when you, if you got, you have kids there, that's that, I mean, (laughs) the sport, who's the who's the more competitive, of the two of you, who's the more competitive.
3: Who? You know, it's funny. We actually played Uno this weekend and I can't even tell you, we were sending um, videos to our family and they were like, both of you guys are crazy they're like both of you guys studying at the same things we are we are very highly competitive we we compete each other but that's what we need we push each other we push each other for our goals and our dreams um so I couldn't even tell you he's more competitive we're just like on an equal level on that on that note
0: well he's got to be excited about this class
3: mm-hmm. having
0: played with Blake and then with you I mean that for him it's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This has got to be surreal for him, I-, I would imagine, for him.
3: Yes, he is super excited. He's like, oh, man, I'm so excited for you. You deserve it. And he's going to be able to see Blake. He's seen, I believe, um, Blake came to one of Torian's camps a couple years back. But it's good just to see them back on campus. And that's what we're looking for, just going back on UCF, seeing the changes that, you know, has come about um, and just being where back in our old stomping grounds, where it all began
0: y'all gone to any football games recently uh I mean
3: I haven't been to a football game in maybe three years so I am so excited for this one
0: okay that so we're gonna so get excited. honored at halftime with along with this great class yep. and rightfully so uh congratulations you've done a great career and being honored well deserved uh Thanks. significant oh for track and field thank you so much for taking the busy time and uh again well deserved UCF Hall of Famer field Charles That sounds, that's a good ring. Has a nice ring to it. Uh, (laughs) Congrats. Uh, Thank you for doing this. And uh, we'll talk soon.
3: All right. Thank you so much, Eric. All
0: right. Thanks again to a few Charles Wilson, who uh, joining us, of course you heard right there, her husband, Torian Wilson, Mm -hmm. who played obviously uh, football with Blake Bortles, ironically enough, who's in this hall of fame class. Uh, Her sisters with the Connecticut son in the WNBA playoffs, pretty athletic family. Her mom, obviously part of the Olympics, but uh, really, really impressed by Athia. Well deserved of this honor, part of this great class, and uh, really excited for her. And we'll have a feature on her, including exclusive comments from Carol Smith Gilbert, who's now the director of track and field at Georgia and her former UCF head coach. That'll be on our Black and Go Benaret site this week, as is our feature on Natalie Lamb. By the way, happy birthday, Natalie Lamb. Wednesday, as we record this, Wednesday is her birthday.
1: Birthday, Nat. All right, so let me ask you this. So, we, we've, you know, Congrats again to Afia. I mean, she's she deserves it. There's no doubt about it. Let me ask you this, Eric. Track and field alumni right now. Mm-hmm. Who's the next one who's going to get inducted? Glad you
0: asked. If you go to our YouTube page and subscribe and like our YouTube page, myself and Bryson Turner did a special night shift edition this week on the Hall of Fame. And one of the topics we broke up with uh, topic was that. I think the answer is, Jackie Coward, to me, who you've covered, Jeff, and you've yep. interviewed, she to was me, the first
1: the, ever yeah. interview on Black and Gold Banneret. Very personal. wow, yeah. And you right could right make the argument she's going to the Olympics.
0: You can make the argument she probably should have been the first track athlete. Although again, Afia making the Olympics in an Olympic year really makes a ton of sense. Uh, Jackie Coward, Octavius Freeman, and Ariel Scott, I think, are the three names to watch. And I and I said on the night shift edition with Bryson. Those three should be in within the next decade. And I think Afia, and we talked about that with Afia in the interview. Uh, they all should be in what they met to this program, that 2013 team. They were a top, they were finished fifth in the NCAA championships, the highest ranking for a non-Power 5 program at that time. Uh, I think those three should be in within the next decade. I think Afia getting in should open the floodgates for track and field athletes and cross country perhaps to get start getting inducted into the Hall of Fame.
1: I hope so. I hope so. Cause we're seeing, you know, we, we've seen a long-term development of that program into, I think a real power. And once, once you, this is, by the way, you talk about a program that's going to really make leaps and bounds when they get to the big 12, I think track and field is going to make a big jump. When we a lot of young
0: 12. talent there. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And when you get that, you know, when you get that, that power conference tag, and you start recruiting in some of the places that you, that, that you know, UCF can recruit. Oh boy. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. So congrats to Athea. Congrats to all of the inductees, to Blake, to Natalie, to Josh, and of course to Jermaine. Uh, the Friday Hall night's the big induction. ceremony. Yep. Saturday they'll the be honored during the game. It will be at the, so the ceremony will be at the Celeste Hotel, which is the new hotel that opened up uh, along Alfea Trail on the front of the university. Um, 6 p.m. cocktail reception followed by dinner program at 7 Um and the uh, and of course, they, the five inductees will be honored um, during the uh, football game on Saturday, uh, which of course is the 6 p.m. Uh, kickoff. And like Eric said, don't forget to watch that edition of Night Shift where he and Bryson break down the Hall of Fame class. Um, definitely worth watching because if you're a UCF history buff like we are, that's a lot of fun to, to, to really talk about. So, all right, let's take a break. We come back. Lo and behold, Bryson Turner is going to join us. We're going to talk about uh, the Olympic sports uh, volleyball continues their hot start big weekend coming up for men's soccer and plenty more when we return. This is the black and gold banner at podcast back after this. Welcome back to the black and gold banner at podcast, Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez with you joined by Bryson Turner to talk about the world of UCF sports. Um, the uh, let's start with volleyball. They have won Bryson seven matches in a row and have only lost in that process uh some five sets uh they went on the road for the the long road trip which is Tulsa and Wichita State and they came out of there with a win. I thought that the Wichita State match was going to be tough they won that one in five uh and then they came back Tulsa gave them a little bit of a run but they beat them in four they come back home for Houston and Tulane this week um Houston is much improved I think they're going to be uh that's going to be a tough out but um, but let's talk about volleyball here. We, you know, we had some, uh, obviously we had a milestone with Amber Olson hitting 2000 assists for her career, which is huge. Um, and this team, they really haven't been beaten by anybody since the South Carolina match. And the reason why I say that is that, yeah, they lost to Georgia on September 11th, which is the, only, their only loss since, you know, in the last month, but, that was a five setter that one could have gone either way i think it went 16 14 in the fifth so that's kind of like a coin flip um this team is hot right now man and you know i'm looking at uh, I'm, and their rpi is 17th and that rpi is going to drop can, a little bit more because they're playing the conference the conference slate so they got to just keep winning but you know right now todd dash has got to be pretty happy right this team's in a good place Oh yes, I agree with that. And one thing that I really do
4: not want to understate what uh, understate is, um, obviously McKenna Melville was McKenna Melville. But looking at the individual stats over the course of these two games, uh, freshman, uh, fr- uh, fr- freshman Caitlin Grimes had a career high thirteen digs in the Wichita State game. She's and been really good. And the Tulsa, and then in the Tulsa game, freshman outside hitter Heidi Bond had or Bondi had a had a career high sixteen kills. So I think one thing that's very, un- un- that would that happen that's very understated in volleyball this week is we have, is it's not just McKenna Melville and Anne-Marie Watson. We have some really good depth going on the volleyball roster at the moment.
1: Young talent too. Those two players you mentioned are freshmen, Caitlin Grimes and Heidi Bondi. And Todd has told me that like, the, they are like the next generation. They're the post McKenna, post Anne-Marie kind of horses that they're hitching their saddle to, right, Eric? I mean, that's. Yeah. And that's but, encouraging to see them really getting that playing time and succeeding in that playing time. But
0: that's in that but that's the advantage where you have a McKenna Melville, you have that room for margin where you could develop your young players and play them, which football doesn't have with Dylan Gabriel. This is the opposite of football. I mean, I watched the Wichita State match, which they were down two sets to one. Now, when we looked at the schedule, I remember we said this last week. I know you weren't with us, Jeff, but I said Wichita State. That was a match you circled in Wichita that could be a match. It could be in danger of losing. There's a, mm-hmm. It's down the road. And they were down two sets to one. UCF responded. And in the fifth set at the end of the day is we got McKenna. They don't. Like, she is amazing. Like, hand her the player of the year already. She's she,
1: an alien, man. She's
0: amazing. But it allows the young players to play to their roles and not force feed them. Uh, and so and then the Tulsa match, they went on the road. That's a big road uh, swing there for UCF. Now they come home. This is probably their toughest home stretch with Houston and Tulane. Houston. Could be arguably the second best team in the league. Remember, we thought they might play lot in the championship this coming year, but they lost in the semis. I'm looking forward to that match. And then Tulane. I know you've always been impressed with them. They're kind of scuffling a little bit, but they still have talent there.
1: Yeah. Well. Well. Here, here's a little bit on Tulane. They, they're, they're three and one in the conference, and their only loss was to Houston at home in four, in what was a pretty tight match. Um, as far as Houston's concerned. Uh, they lost their opening conference match to Tulsa in five. Since then, they've won uh, They won three in a row, including at Tulane and at, obviously, the Tulane match we're talking about, but also at Temple. They also beat Wichita State at home. So Houston comes in um, right now, and I want to take a look at the standings. UCF leads the standings in the American at 4-0. and They're all alone right now. Uh, in the volleyball standings, you have four teams behind them at 3-1. and one. Houston, Cincinnati, Tulane, and Essendon. And like you said, this is right now. This is the tough. This is the toughest home weekend that UCF volleyball has. We'll see how it shakes out the rest of the year, but I think this is key. Houston's thirteen and three overall. Tulane's ten and six overall. Tulane gave UCF some problems. I really like Lexi Douglas. She's one of the best players in the conference for Tulane. Um, You know, yeah. This is this. This is another. If if UCF can take care of business at home this weekend, I think that's going to be a real. If they were,
0: if they were, if if I had to rank who the likely the uh, likeliness of them losing a match at home this weekend could be it with the back to back with Houston and Tulane. This is a so this is an interesting stretch. We'll see how they respond. But again, uh, you got to feel good when you have number twenty on your side of the net. That Mm -hmm. helps.
1: (laughs) She just she's the Uh, the ace of spades in your back pocket. She's having her best year, Jeff. She's having her best year. And this is and by the way, this is she still has one more year to go. Okay. and you look at the at the <laughs> stats, Bryson, look at this. She is first in the country in points, okay, 339 and a half. She's second in the country in total kills with, two, with uh, 293. And she's third in the country in total swings with 766. If she doesn't make it... If I, wh- make, if I, if if I she, could whistle like a whistle, I would whistle at that. If <laughs> she doesn't make... An all-American.
0: I'm not talking about honorable mention, which she's done First the last three years. 1st
1: all-American. Teams. First or at least no second.
0: Doubt. First or second. She has to. If not, I'm sorry, Todd. But and, and you all volleyball fans. But then your all-American system is a joke if she's not. I'm sorry. I I, I will not even give any credence to it. If it does. If she doesn't. Yeah. She deserves One thing, uh,
4: one thing I do want to I want to make sure we watch for in this Houston game for UCF fans to pay attention to, uh, to. Look out for senior setter Amber Olsen, because you you mentioned earlier she broke 2,000 assists, but during that stretch, she scored she had a career high 51 assists in the Wichita State game mm-hmm. and then followed up with her second best career performance with 49 assists in the Tulsa game. So and th- because of that, she broke 2000 assists and she is currently in striking distance of her sister. And yep. if she if she puts on another performance like she did this this weekend, she could very well pass her sister. In the Houston, in the Houston match, so I, so that's a little storyline that I that would be nice for UCF fans. To look I know
1: this for a fact. I don't know if Amber listens to the podcast, but Amber, if you're listening, I know for a fact that you would like nothing more than to pass your sister in the all time assist assist list. I know that for a fact because those two are something else. They are so competitive, and um, you know, uh, uh, Aaron Olson was an outstanding setter for UCF when she was here. She was the straw that stirred the drink, and she and Amber came up right underneath her and, and has developed in, herself into a fantastic athlete. So I'm Amber. We're really happy for you. Congratulations. Keep up the good work. And boy, it's fun to watch her run the offense. She's, she's a, she's a Swiss army knife out there. She lo- And by the way, the thing I love about Amber Olson, the most, she, whenever she gets a block, she's so tall as a setter. She gets blocks at the net. And that's like a big boost, a big emotional boost for the team. Every time she does that. So, um, couple of things I wanted to with, with, uh, Houston there, uh, they are, uh, a really good defensive team so far this year. Number one in the conference in, uh, or, or rather, uh, Kate, uh, George Glades, uh, for, the, uh, for Houston is 12th in the country in, uh, digs per set, uh, first in the conference. And then, um, uh, really good, uh, setter for them. Annie cook is first in the conference in, in assists. So, uh, be mindful of very good defensive team. Uh, Rachel Tullis, um, Leads leads the American in blocks. Um, So they're going to present a good challenge for UCF's offense. So we'll see what UCF can pull off in that first uh, match. Eric, let's move on to uh, – and Bryson, let's move on to women's soccer here because they are in a bit of a lull right now uh, since they've started conference play. They are 1 – excuse me, they are 0-2-1 In conference, Uh, they uh, tied SMU last time out on Thursday. They lost two to one at home to Memphis in, of course, that rivalry. game. But now they have an even bigger rivalry match coming up on Thursday night, 6 p.m. against South Florida. Uh, A team who has been there bugaboo. This is their only time that they will play the Bulls this season. It is at home. And all of a sudden, we're looking at the schedule. They got five games to go in the regular season. And this is this is crunch time for for women's soccer right so what's so so what are we seeing right now we're seeing right
0: well let me just uh, jump in here Bryson, because let's jump in on the rpi because now this is part of the story jeff what's the rpi for women's soccer women's soccer right now i'm seeing 34. so you're getting right into that bubble range right now to me this Mm -hmm. south florida match is almost a must win because this is going to be their last quality on the resume match the rest of the season the rest of the season they're facing teams that have not great RPIs
1: now now they did draw SMU who's 20th that's the top ranked American team in the RPI
0: correct but I think they got to win this match get a result and obviously the story Bryson is Caroline Delia because she was the story in that SMU match 11 saves we haven't seen that from a UCF goalkeeper in a long time haven't we
4: no, we have not. Uh, you would not believe the research that I had to go to in order to figure this one out. Because, uh, th- th- But <laughs> the, je- the last time that a UCF women's goalkeeper had more than 11 saves or more was Jennifer Manis back in 2007
1: in a game against. I Minnesota. remember Jen. I remember Jen. She was I think she was playing when when we were seniors. Right, Eric?
0: That sounds right. Yeah, that's our 07. Yeah, that's yep. about
4: right. So, so, yeah, but Caroline Delisle has honestly really been the center of this team. I mean, Kristen Scott and, and Ellie Moreno have done a very, very great job on offense. But considering how, uh, how how many shots have been shot her way, Caroline Delisle's way this year, I mean, she is definitely the definitely the centerpiece of this team, I would say.
1: The, the problem I think you see right now, Eric, you're right about this. With five games to go, you you got to start putting results up. Because yeah. here's the story. Right now, UCF has zero points in the conference. They're yep. 0-2-1. South Florida, 2-0 and 1. So you're they, so that's it, that's at, that's seven right there for them.
3: Now I mean, you the can start team.
1: to put dents in it, right? Because you're already, you're not going to get the one back against Memphis, who's in second. You you already drew SMU, who's in fourth. You still got uh, uh let's see, one, two, three, four teams ahead of you remaining on the schedule. But like you said, you got to start putting, you got to start putting up three points. Yeah, because your
0: non conference resume is good enough to make the tournament, but you got to get some results in the conference. You don't want to play, you're playing yourself backwards. They got to get a result against South Florida. They got to get a result. If you don't, you're pretty much out of the conference regular season title. Now you're just battling to make sure you make the conference tournament and things like that Mm. because your RPI is not going to improve based on the opponents you got coming up. So you got to get a result here. It's your big rivals, it's at home. We'll see what happens. This is a very uncharacteristic Coach Sahadek team. They give up a lot of shots. They've given up an average so far twice as many shots than they have uh, normally in a Sahadek typical team going back to 2019, the normal year. this They've given up two twice as many shots on average than they did uh, two years
4: ago. I, I would also say that, um, you know, SMU draw drawing against SMU at the very least slows their downward momentum. They've been having If any, if there is a time now, you said it's crunch time. This is definitely crunch time because you lose two straight. You draw against the top team in RPI in the conference. So you, this is going to be a very important game for, for women's soccer this season. For
1: sure. South Florida match is slated. I just lost it. Uh, oh, there it is. It's slated for 6 PM on Thursday. And then, that quick turnaround Sunday at one against uh Tulsa. By the way, looking at the standings, of course, you talking about South Florida being 2-0 and one, seven, two and two overall, first place in the American. Tulsa right now is tied for sixth in the American with Temple at one and two in conference, six, five and one overall. So um, I think if you can get through South Florida, find a way to get that three points. You can get that, you pick up another three at Tulsa. All of a sudden, you're 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 in you get a six point weekend that's that's going to be huge that's going to be a big boost by the way i, I made a mistake that you're there's zero points they're actually at one point in the standing yes yeah, i mean you got your draw point. point. So, yeah, yeah yeah so um so that's where we stand on that uh men's soccer got, uh, that four game win streak that they had bryson got snapped uh on sunday against memphis at home in a game that was this is just a bizarre result uh three nothing win oh, for yeah. memphis um this, is, th- this one was just weird I, I don't know i don't know what happened in this it, it felt like oh i, oh, I can you, tell know you, what what felt, you know what it felt like okay you ever played madden and oh yes and, and like there's one game a season you can have it on easy mode but there's one game a season where the the computer just decides you're not winning right and that's what this game felt like. So it dropped UCF to three and one, tied for second with SMU behind, four, behind four and O. Tulsa, who that was number six in the country, and who the Knights play on Sunday, October the tenth at six p.m. That is a huge game. Ranked number five, right? Uh, I, I on the UCF schedule they're ranked number six. Let me double check the That's here. That's pretty
0: still good but- ranking. Here's my my thoughts on this. This is where UCF has to start building their resume in men's soccer. Yeah. These two games, uh, you know, Tulsa, SMU. If they want to get back to the NCAA tournament, they got to get results against Tulsa and SMU in particular and obviously get stay at the top of the league. But it, this yeah. is a huge match from a resume. UCF doesn't have any marquee wins to this point in their resume. They have got to get some results here against these teams if they want to make it back to the tournament. And this Tulsa team has been coming along since the spring they have carried that momentum since the spring jeff you saw them that was the yeah. championship match this is a rematch of the conference championship game
1: yeah this is and that was a competitive conference championship match too tulsa's on the way up here uh and uh yeah i, I you got it i i was impressed with them last season this is uh we don't have an rpi yet for men's soccer the official rpi has not come out yet but they, but if they can get that result against tulsa pull them back. It does two things. I'm going to boost UCF's national ranking. Okay. Because you're beating a number five, number five or six, whatever team. And it pulls Tulsa back to the field in this, in the conference standings. And that's huge because I thought one of the big factors was UCF won the conference regular season title and got to host the championship uh, last year. I think that was huge. I think that's really going to be really big for their resume here because Tulsa is that much more competitive this year so um you got you got to get every advantage that you can so um Tulsa and then they have a week off. they go on the road to SMU next Saturday but that's again ESPN plus 6 p.m Sunday um be there or be square man that's going to be a huge, I, one. huge Oh, it one.
4: is a huge one and I'll, and here's a here's a big thing that I definitely that I want to bring up for that game Tulsa and UCF are tied for eight in scoring offense which means that if they're oh boy. a lot of scoring that that means that the UCF defense is really going to have to play the play this time and, and play this time and considering the what considering how UCF's goalkeeping has been this season I am a little concerned for that Tulsa game um, looking at the Memphis, back at the Memphis game here's the reason that I think they lost that game is that Colin Welsh the freshman goalkeeper for Memphis had in himself a day seven yeah, he was great uh, UCF shot the ball at him 16 times seven on goal he saved all seven, he saved all seven of them and then Memphis's offense just got extremely lucky they got... five shots on goal out of the six but six shots they had so I would just say that I that but the thing is that Tulsa's goalkeeper is this has the second most saves in the conference so I this is definitely going to be a test for UCF's offense but I would be looking at the goalkeeping for the for, in the game against Tulsa because I think that could be the difference maker
1: According to RPI update, which is the unofficial RPI tracker for men's soccer before it gets to the NCAA. Right now, UCF's RPI is uh, – oh, wait. No, that's not it. Uh, where is it? I don't see it. Why don't I see it? That's kind of weird. Oh, 102 right now. Um, Tulsa's RPI, care to guess?
4: I, I'll, I'll put it in the top – 10, 15.
1: How about second? That's a huge, <laughs> huge opportunity oh boy, right there. Oh boy. Second. Yeah, that's going to, okay. that's going to be, a, now, that's going to be a game. UCF is 0-1 against the top, uh, top 25. That one loss was to Virginia Tech earlier this year. They're 24th in the RPI. Um, And don't forget UCF got another shot at Tulsa, at Tulsa to wrap the regular season. But um, yeah, this is, this is a tremendous opportunity. You want to get them at home because uh, you don't want to have to get them on the road if you can avoid it. So, um, yeah, this is going to be this is this is a big opportunity for Coach Cal Breeze's guys. All right, let's talk a little golf here, um, Bryson. I want to see um, you know because we had women's golf, uh, which I know you're excited about. Um, won the Evie Odom Invitational uh, at uh, which was held or hosted by old dominion in Virginia beach uh, their third top five finish in as many um, uh, in as many tournaments that they played. Um, and uh, Hey, congrats to uh, congrats to the nice, because they got, if you look at the team leaderboard, they were really outstanding. Uh, finished at one over par as a team. Uh, the, uh, player stats, um, looking them up right now. I, I, did, I did I, okay, here it is. Um, Pat Pitten led UCF, um, with, uh, and won the individual medalist, uh, with a, uh, two, w- with a total 200 score. Um, and then in addition to that, uh, Jess Baker finished high for 16th, uh, Camille Banze uh, finished in 18th and Zoe allow finished. Tie for 20. So that's oh, your five players. four top twenties. That's really good.
4: Oh, yes, for sure. I also have to really commend Jess uh, Jess Baker for rebounding in round three. She shot um, she shot one over par in the first two rounds and then shot three under in the or it is par, oh no, it's par 70. I'm sorry. It's a three, so three over in the first two rounds, and mm. then shot three under in the last round. She she catapulted 21 individual spots. In the in the last round, and I think that and that really helped UCF get the team get the team win, which they got of which they got by seven strokes over the College of Charleston. By the way, speaking of scores, uh, the te- UCF's team score they scored a total of eight forty one on the on the on the tournament. That is is the, that good? That is the lowest fifty four hole total in program history. The last time UCF has gotten anywhere remotely close to that was 2014 that's pretty good the second the now second place is it was an 843 score in october 2014 so almost almost exactly now, seven years ago now that's not relative
1: to par though but that's now, still oh no it good. is
4: it was a par 70 oh it was okay it was a
1: par 70. um yeah. now we now, don't oh, know then, what
4: oh, the anton Rodda, oh anton rada
1: um, Yeah, yeah, um, yeah Uh, We don't know what the team rankings are right now because the golf stat rankings for the women don't come out until November 17th. But I would suspect that UCF would probably, their rankings should probably be quite healthy. We're just going to have to file that away in our back pocket for the next month plus a week until we see those golf stat rankings come out. But
4: that's good news. when we have Tenrada in because uh, I also want to give kudos to her. Not only did she win the tournament by five strokes, which, prop you know props to her that was great she got a hole in one on hole 7 in the last round another great uh, this is the weekend of her life her 200 <laughs> also her 54 hole score 200 is the lowest 54 hole individual score in UCF history 3 strokes ahead of Elizabeth Moon and uh, also from from all, from uh, on October early October in 2018 so Three yep. years ago, three years ago when Elizabeth, with Elizabeth Moon. So, Tanrata uh, Pitten already has the, sing, the, the single-season average record at 71.9. She's currently beating it right now. She's so, a star, man. Tenrata, and then, Tanrata Pitten is also the, now the fourth UCF uh, women's golf player ever to get, an individual, to get an individual victory, joining Kristen Putnam, Liz Early, and Ashley Holder, who Eric and I both mentioned in the UCF Hall of hall of fame live stream like live stream so tenrata pitton is having herself a season right a season right now and i think she's definitely one to watch on this team going forward
1: what a star man i love it emily Marin, keep killing it
4: hey she told us to follow the women's golf twitter account i think i think you
2: have a really get good- on
1: that guys everybody ucf underscore w got you know why they did it? so i don't know why this was initially but um there used to be just one UCF golf account. It was just UCF underscore golf, and it followed both the men's and the women's. They've since split those accounts, but they turned the original account into the men's golf account, which is UCF underscore M golf. And then they created a new account for UCF women's golf, UCF underscore W golf. So guys, follow UCF underscore W golf right now on Twitter, please. They deserve it. This team's kicking it this year. They are, they are wrecking everything in sight. Last thing we'll talk about, Bryce. The basketball schedules are officially out. Um, you can check them all out on ESP, or ESPN. On uh, Well, yeah, they're probably on ESPN, but they're on UCFathletics.com. The women's basketball season starts Tuesday, November the 9th, 6 p.m. at home against Duquesne. That following Friday, they play Tennessee at home. Um, home games also against Belmont, Arkansas, four straight on the road yikes and then they play uh and then they start conference play exactly a month after their last home non-conference game on january 2nd that's a sunday against temple uh in addition uh men's basketball starts their season the day after women's starts theirs which is wednesday november the 10th they start with robert morris home games against jacksonville oklahoma bethune cookman north carolina a and t uh, a, a neutral site game against Florida State, home for North Alabama, home for Michigan, the day before New Year's Eve, December 30th, and they start conference play at uh, uh, at SMU on January 2nd. That's also a Sunday, home conference opener, January 5th, Wednesday against Temple. So impressions of the schedule right now, Bryson, because we thought this was we thought it would be strong coming. We were getting you know some things kind of trickling out. Eric was doing a good job of following that, but um, now it's officially out. I think the men's schedule is freaking brutal, man. This is going to be a this is going to be a tough schedule, but with a consistent team, um, and I think this is going to be pretty solid.
4: Oh yes, um, me. Um, the, with the women's basketball schedule, I would really want to keep an eye on that brutal four game road stretch because going against Mercer, Se- Seton Hall, Iowa, and Prince and Princeton. I would say that, especially with Iowa, who made the Sweet 16 last year in in the mm-hmm. in the NCAA women's basketball tournament, that is a very hard stretch. Especially with the fact that you had uh, Mercer, Seton Hall, and Iowa all within a single week.
1: Yeah. So but what a weird road means, trip because they go be to, girl. and what a weird road trip because they go to they go to Macon, Georgia, to play Mercer, then they go to to New Jersey to play Seton Hall, out to Iowa and then back to New Jersey to play Princeton before they come home.
4: Well, the big thing with that- Normally, you would
1: see those New Jersey dates back to back to cut down on travel
4: true but the thing i think the thing with that one is is that the, i think the good news is is that is that the the gap between iowa and princeton is very sizable like yeah, it's an 11, 11 day, day 11 gap. days which you you need 11 days rest after a yeah. week like after
1: that. after three games in six days at mercer at seton hall at iowa especially capping off iowa at carver hawkeye arena that's a good point so yeah so uh,
4: that's definitely one to watch uh, i also would also I'd, i also would want to watch the games against a game against belmont belmont always has a really good basketball program on the women's side uh tennessee certainly a story a story program great to have them here at the bounce house and that should be a very great game a great game to watch put some butts in seats which would be really good uh and then of course the cancun challenge i mean you know playing going i i think the fact that they're playing it on thanksgiving i think is going to be very interesting usc has always been a good basketball program and then they could play idaho state as well but you know traveling for thanks for thanksgiving certainly will be a very interesting thing for them to face especially traveling internationally so that will also be a very good ter- uh, one to watch as well. And what you said, and then as far as the men goes, yeah, I agree with, I agree with what you said there. Great, great scheduling on coach Johnny Dawkins' part. And I am very interested to see how he will proceed with the men's basketball program going forward.
1: Yeah, that's uh, we'll break down the schedule a little bit more. One of the interesting things I think about the schedule this, this year, did you notice we're playing where our conference opener is actually on the road, forgive me. I thought it was at the start of January. Cause like, you know, New Year's start conference play, right? No, conference opener is December fifteenth. That's a Wednesday night at Temple, seven p.m. Now, that's a to me that as a as a history guy that that's a callback to um, the old A Sundays. We used to have in the A Sundays, we used to have a conference weekend in December, in like early December, like a little conference preview week, like a little taste, right before you jumped back into non conference play, and then conference play restarts again the rest of the way in the new year. So I'm interested to see why they did that. That's that was their last that's their last tune up before Florida state, which is three days later. Um, I like the fact that they have North Alabama at home Wednesday, December 22nd, three days before Christmas. Then you got the Christmas break five days after Christmas, Thursday, December the 30th, which is eight days after North Alabama, You're home to play Michigan. So you should be well-rested. Uh, right before that Michigan game. And then that's your conference, non-conference finale before you restart conference play after New Year's at SMU. So that's oh, yes. I, I, that's going to be a good, I think where that, where that game showed up in the schedule is a good gauge for where you are heading into conference season.
4: I agree with that. This is a very I would say this is a very balanced schedule for Johnny Dawkins. I mean, we just talked about how you had those really long road trips for on the women's side, which I understand why you schedule those, but mm-hmm. in, in the case of this, you don't see really much of anything that extreme in the in this. In fact, we have some pretty good home stretches as well. We have three straight home games with temple Tulsa and Memphis to open conference play in earnest, or to open conference play in earnest after you started an away game at SMU. Yeah. Um, you, um, as far as, um, the non-conference, I would, um, I would, we have, they have Evansville at, at home. I've seen Evansville pop up in the um, NCAA tournament once or twice. And so while the uh, and so I would definitely, I I think that's a match to have. And then, um, and then for the Evansville aces and then, and then I, I look, I look. I always just college basketball. If there's if one thing. If one thing that college basketball is known for. It's upsets, and I do not want to see that happen. And I think that and, and Evansville, I maybe could do it. I hope they don't. But there's that. Um, and then also a ma- a matchup that's looking very interesting to me is a neutral site match with Florida State in Sunrise, Florida, in the BB&T Center.
1: Hmm. Yep. Down in Sunrise, that's going to be that big Orange Bowl classic match. So. Uh, all right. Last thing I want to wrap up with is actually late breaking, uh, tennis. All right. So UCF's individuals and some doubles teams are competing in the ITA all American championships. Uh, this is being held in, uh, the uh, South Carolina, uh, or the women are being, are playing in, uh, Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. The men are playing it's hosted by Tulsa and we got some late updates too. um, uh, Bryce, I'm going to see if we can pull these together here real quick, because uh, it, it's, it, this is kind of like uh, this ITA all is kind of like a, it's, it's kind of like a major, right. For, for college tennis. And it's, it's the big tune up before they start the officially start the, the dual match season in the spring. So I want to start with the women's side. What, what results have we seen from, uh, from UCF so far in this uh, in this women's bracket,
4: so we have two women's uh, two women's single players in the All American Championships. We have uh, first off, we have uh, we have number eighty ranked Leva Shova. Uh, she uh, lost her first, unfortunately, lost her first qualifying match. She was in the qualifying draw. Uh, she so she is competing now in the qualifying constellation bracket. She'll be facing against Utah's Madeline Lemoreau for that. Um, so the so, so um, uh, g- you know, good luck to her for the rest of the week. I hope she gets some good wins under her belt. The one, to, but the big one to watch is going to be Valeria Zaleva because breaking news from breaking news because she just won her first uh single uh, or her, her first round match in the main draw. Levishova was in the qualifying draw, Zaleva was locked into the main draw already, mm-hmm. and she just beat washington senior vanessa wong in three sets she lost the first set six two but then she rebounded to win the second set six four and then the third set six one uh she is ranked i believe in the top 20 if i'm not mistaken or somewhere close to that so zaleva will certainly be somebody to watch in the in the main bracket going forward in the women's in the women's singles side so that's something to follow for that
1: all right. What about on the men's side? Because Trey Hildebrand was in there. Um, I think he had a match today. T- uh, t- we're recording this on Wednesday, October sixth. Wasn't Trey playing today too? Uh, he's playing twice today, actually. Um, he,
4: oh, geez, busy day he, for him. Oh, for sure. He, um, for sure. He. Um, at, um, r- so as far as the, he's playing as a single. I believe he is the only men's. Tennis player remaining now. Both he and Bogdan and his uh, doubles playing partner Bogdan Bak- Pavel both made it to the main draw, uh, to the main draw. But Bogdan Bak- Pavel lost in his in his first round match. So mm-hmm. we're so that means that Hildebrand is the last one is the last
1: one standing just, there. He's and forgive both- me, we just have to find. I, I have to uh, update you on that, too. This is just a few minutes ago. Uh, Trey fell in the main draw to number twenty seven. Uh, his name is. They just have his last name, brasca of Mississippi State, six one six three. Yes, uh, uh, which is a bummer.
4: That isn't. That is a bummer. And now with Bogdan out, uh, Bogdan out in the singles, if I recall correctly. Um, I believe you can yeah, double check. To, I'm that trying or... to
1: pull up this. I'm trying to pull up this bracket. I'm. Just, I uh, the, even, I had I just the bracket. I have, oh, you brackets. got the bracket. Okay. Cause I... I have the bracket. It's complicated. I don't think they've even
4: put the name <laughs> yes. of the winners on there yet. Um, and um, uh, okay. I got to complain a little bit about the, IT, uh, about the ITA or other. Uh, no,
1: uh, no, not no,
4: the, no, the, the, the way this the brackets work a little bit, because the women's singles bracket, I can't even find this. So that um, so, but as far as that, uh, but as far as the men's go, Hildebrand falls, Bogdan fell in the uh, in the first round earlier, if I remember right. So that means that uh, the last hope for UCF men's tennis in the men's tennis in the ITA All-Americans comes from our trusty doubles duo of Pavel and Hildebrand. So. Uh, it'll be interesting because Hildebrand is pl- again. Again, he played earlier. Florian
1: Broska, he- by the way, is the name of the guy. I, I want to get his first name in there. Anyway, Braska, go ahead. Yes. Yeah.
4: So, um, so th- th- in in any case, um, so Hildebrand fell in the singles. He's going to have to get rest pretty quick because he is going. He's also going to be playing on today. As we're recording this, he's going to be playing in a few hours. Again, a, a few hours in the doubles match with Bavel against Texas duo Harper and and Ciamara. I want to say
1: that yeah. Uh, Bavel are the number one seed in the men's. In oh, the men's are, are we game. are we sure about that? Because I'm looking at the bracket and it says that in the round of 32, it's like one faces two and then three faces four. So I'm not sure if um, they're the number one. I, I don't one know. That's just... how
4: I'm just reading the bracket.
1: So if you want to, yeah, I, a, I I don't think they're the number one seed per se. I could be wrong, but I, I mean they haven't.
4: They have a name because normally
1: they, they would be like it would be one versus thirty two, I think. But they the I think this is just a quirk of the of how they're displaying the bracket on the website oh, where it's like one it versus seed, two, three versus four.
4: They have the seeds next to the school name, I think, is what it is because
1: you notice that the,
4: because um, they have numbers next to the school names. For example, the one yeah, that yeah, draw, they yeah, they have cues yeah. next to them. So I and uh, the Texas and the Texas duo has LL next to them, which I believe stands for Lucky Loser, which I've seen. I think. Oh
1: yeah, are. and and okay. On the other side of the bracket, Rodriguez and Thompson for South Carolina have a two next to them. Yes. Okay. So, so wow. So so Pavel and Hildebrand are the number one seed. Holy yes, smokes. they are. Okay. So they're going to be going against. You're right.
4: Yeah. So they're going to be going against the lucky the lucky loser pairing from Texas, who I guess made it from the qualifying draw mm-hmm. through that met- metric and metric, and they are. Uh, and honestly you know, they're nationally, ranked. A nationally ranked duo. I think I've seen them ranked number three nationally. And so I would say of the men of the men's tennis uh, men, men's tennis players, it's these two together that have been a highlight for this program. And will I think we'll definitely be ones to watch. Like we want follow
1: Gabe to camps in, in the spring. Okay. All right. So excellent stuff. And then one last one, little note. Don't want to forget them, but they deserve because they deserve a shout out cross country. They won their home event, the UCF invite uh, with a uh, over Florida, Jacksonville, FAU, Stetson, FIU, Lynn, a bunch of Florida schools. Um, top individual finisher is your girl, Bryson, Valerie Lostra. Once again, 1657 in the two point in the two point nine in the three K really. Uh 2. nine mile or two point nine mile. Right. Yeah.
4: Yep. That's what, it, that is what it, that is what it says. Um, I will Cambry say Smith um,
1: finished in six, one spot behind her. They, they were separated by eight tenths of a second. So that I was the they time
4: to get, I have to imagine they were running together yeah. most likely they're both fresh. They're both freshmen. And I know I've been gushing about Valerie, about Valerie last year, this whole time, but quietly, um, you know, we've seen Cambry, uh, other freshmen, Cambry Smith and Lillian Hol- 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 Hoster- Holtery as well, who, Holt mm-hmm. replaced 11th with a seventeen
1: twenty one. And Charlotte Crook also, who, who came on last year, finished 12th, too. Oh, so. yes.
4: Um, she's uh, one of the – definitely, I would say one of the leaders in this program, being one of the only upperclassmen. There are so many freshmen on this cross-country yeah. team. It's insane. And,
1: and- set seven runners in
4: the top 16. More than oh,
1: anybody yeah. else. That's what
4: gave UCF the win. Oh, for sure, especially um because they are coming off of the floor of a of the of their ter- Mountain Dew Invitational in Florida. So it was great that that UCF won on their home turf, especially against Florida, uh, Florida who had runners finishing in second and third. So, um, but yeah, I think honestly with this cross country team, I think the biggest thing is they they held their own home ter- home turf, which I'm very excited about for them to, to do. But also just this youth on this cross country team is really, is really impressing me. And then of course, even Charlotte crook who came on last year and she's a an upper, she's one of the only upperclassmen and she's performing very well as well. But, uh, but youth wise, you know, Valerie Lastrick, Cambry Smith, Lillian Holterie, I mean, especially with Lastra, who uh, who could who has already been setting records and is setting records and already getting Emory Blaney comparisons. Um, I, I'm excited to see what this cross country program is going to be capable of, not just this season, but over the next four seasons. I mean, if, I mean, if we've been talked about Renaya Jones in the track in the track season, I would say that Valerie Lastra is Valerie Lastra has the potential to be a Renaya level player for hmm. the for distance running. The That's Renia- high
1: praise. That's high praise. All right, Bryson, I'm going to hold you to that. Mark down the date and time you said that. All right. That mm-hmm. is going to wrap it for us. Bryson, thank you so much for that recap. You can follow Bryson at It's Bryson Turner following all the latest in UCF's Olympic sports action. You can follow us individually. Uh, I am at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Drew is at Stat Boy. Drew. You can follow us collectively at UCF underscore Banneret. Uh, you can also follow us on Facebook, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, and of course you can subscribe to our podcast. If you don't already on Apple podcasts, if you're an, uh, if you're a, a, a iOS user on the other hand, if you're an Android user, you can follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us there, uh, or wherever you get your uh, devices. Special thanks to athia Charles Wilson for joining us. Congratulations to her and all the hall of fame, uh, inductees for this weekend, of course. Um, but there's uh, two people that we want to say a very special thank you to, as we wrap up here. Um, I want to say a special thank you to Danny Medina who uh, announced this past week that she will no longer be writing for us uh, at black and gold banner. She's up in Nashville um, working for um, USA today and the Gannett network. And it's, her, It's and all of you guys know Danny from Twitter. Um, I feel personally extremely lucky to have worked with Danny in the short time that she was a part of us at black and gold banner. She, she made a tremendous impact to all of us and, Danny, thank you so much. Best of luck. Stay in touch. And uh, we're eternally grateful for you and everything you did. And especially, and I also want to say a special, a very special thank you to our friend Jeremy Brenner, who also is moving on to greener pastures. He's actually not going to be leaving the uh, UCF bubble too much. He's actually, uh, uh, he'll be sticking around. I'll be letting, I'll let him actually uh, tell you where he's going to be going, but he won't be going far away. Jeremy came on when we joined SB Nation, Um, And it's just he I I swear he's like he's got like he's one of like triplets that like we don't the other two we don't know about or don't see because this man writes for something like six different sites um, is a phenomenal producer uh, is a brilliant writer knows content in and out and really helped us from transition well from the independent blog that we were. To an SB Nation site, uh, he has great news sense, amazing on social media, and has helped me navigate the last couple of years so much. And you know, has always tried new. You know, has been always willing to put up with my flights of fancy and trying new things. And um, you know, I'm I feel very lucky to have worked with him the last few years, Blue, Black, and Gold Banner. And Jeremy, I just want you to know, congratulations on everything you've done. Thank you so much for everything that you did for me. And for us, I'm so proud of you, and uh, I'm going to miss you in our uh, in our chats as always. But you deserve every bit of success that's coming to you because you're a fantastic reporter, a fantastic producer. Best of luck to you in all your endeavors, and never stray too far. In fact, I won't let you stray too far. I'm really happy for you. Go ahead, Bryson. That
4: uh, that goes ditto for me. I just wanted to say my quick piece about a piece. I, I I was brought on in april and i could not have felt more welcome by the staff which includes jeremy and danny i'm gonna miss their game day guides that was yep. uh, danny that um danny re- also recently graduated from the Nickel from uc from ucf journalism program of which i am a part of right now so felt a little bit of a kindred spirit there with her since she's on the young side with me so uh but she's off to greener pastures and uh, i wish the best of luck to her as well and then Jeremy, and then Jeremy, I hosted night shift with him after the Bethune after the Bethune Cookman game, and I just want to so I just want to say it was a great to do that with him, and also for him to do that for putting together the nights of the round table, which has been a very fun yeah thing to write, very fun thing to write for. So uh, I you know I know we, I didn't know I wasn't on the staff with either of them long, but I appreciate everything they've done, and I'm very excited to see what they'll be doing what they'll be doing next
1: and i'm especially thankful for the two of them i'm going to be very sad that they won't be with us actively anymore um but i'm really so happy that i got the chance to work with both of them because they're so brilliant so jeremy danny i know you guys have always been uh, very close friends uh and i am so thankful for the two of you best of luck going forward and stay in touch all right so for all of us here At Black and Gold Banner, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thanks for listening. We will catch you next week. Enjoy the ECU game. Charge on.